Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That is me. Just a quick second to say uh, thank you to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show in order to get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode when it's released. Uh, but patrons get to hear those interviews uh, usually about an hour after they occur. So if I have an interview on a Tuesday, patrons can hear that later on that Tuesday, rather than waiting until Friday or Saturday when the full episode comes out. So I really appreciate the uh, the support. costs a couple of bucks a month, uh, but I greatly appreciate that. Reminder that the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It is Alberta's best beef jerky, and I dare say it's the best beef jerky that you have ever had. If you've never had it, then it's the best beef jerky that you've never had. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, you can have it sent to you, vacuum sealed and absolutely fresh on delivery. You open the pouch and your senses will just be uh, obliterated by the uh, delicious aromas of the Wilhock beef jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. W-I-L-H-A-U-K is how you spell Wilhock. All right, we have an absolutely loaded show. Normally, I would try to breeze through the opening segment, but there's some things we got to mention uh, first off, the Memorial Cup is in the books. The St. John Sea Dogs capture the Memorial Cup this year as hosts. It was, in my opinion, the national coming out party for uh, William Dufour, the uh, New York Islanders draft pick who had a fantastic season, but maybe he didn't have the national recognition that he certainly does now after a uh, sensational tournament. This was a, uh, a Memorial Cup with some really thrilling games. You know, unfortunately, I'll listen, I'm going to be biased. The Edmonton Oil Kings uh, ended up being the first team knocked out. But they had three games that were basically one-goal games. I know Hamilton scored with uh, like .1 seconds left into an empty net to make it a 4-2 game. But really, three one-goal games. They lost to Shawinigan. They had a lead in the third period. They let that slip away. Unfortunate uh, result there for the Oil Kings. The next uh, night... In a back-to-back situation, they beat St. John in overtime. And what a thrilling overtime. I didn't know what to expect from a 3-on-3 that went 3-on-3 until there was a winner. It went almost, uh, was it almost 10 minutes? 
And it was just a thrill a minute. Back and forth, back and forth. Both goaltenders standing on their head, making terrific saves. That might have arguably have been the most exciting game just because of that uh, that thrilling uh, overtime session. Uh, the Oak Kings ended up winning that game, uh, and then they uh, lose the the next one against Hamilton. So they so they were knocked out because the uh, Bulldogs' win was in regulation. The Oak Kings' win was in overtime, so it wasn't worth as much. Uh, so that they left early uh, and ended up being St. John beating Hamilton 6-3 in the uh, championship game. I thought it was a great tournament. Uh, I know there are some naysayers out there. Uh, Ken Campbell comes to mind, formerly of the Hockey News. Now, I'm not sure what Substack is, if that's a uh, an audio platform or if that's blogging. Uh, but uh, over the years, Ken writes a lot of negative stories about hockey. I'm not sure that... Uh, well, he likes to poop on everything. And uh, called the Memorial Cup this year a joke. I said the St. John Sea Dogs lost in the first round of the Q playoffs and rested 38 days before Memorial Cup. They got in as a host and li- and lead Hamilton, so this is even before the game was over. If they win the Memorial Cup, it's a complete joke, and it should forever be accompanied by an asterisk. That is a terrible take. Yes, the Sea Dogs were eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, but that was a big upset. They were expected to be contenders this year. This is a team that was ranked nationally for a lot of the season. Uh, the, the Sea Dogs were a championship-caliber team and proved it at the Memorial Cup. Yes, they had 38 days off. Is that a always a good thing? It, maybe you want two weeks off. I don't know that you want six weeks off. They also fired their head coach and brought in a guy who hadn't ever coached at the major junior level in Gardner McDougall. It all worked. And for the uh, fourth Memorial Cup in a row, the host played in the final game. But I think this was only the seventh time that the host had won, has won the Memorial Cup when they weren't their league champion. I think that's the, the number. So it's not like it happens all the time. To, to suggest that this is a complete joke is uh, asinine, in my opinion. So St. John wins the Memorial Cup. The uh, only loss they suffer is uh, at the hands of the Edmonton Oil Kings, which, ironically, the team who uh, did not make the playoff round, first team eliminated from the tournament. Next year's Memorial Cup is in Kamloops. Expect the Blazers to, uh, well, they're already contenders, I think, and uh Assuming they get a guy like Logan Stankoven back, they're going to lose Luke Toporowski, of course, but uh, the CHL import draft went today and they picked up a, a an older goaltender as well as a, an older Finnish defenseman. I like both of those moves uh, for the Kamloops Blazers to pick up older players rather than guys who might uh, be expected to play further down the depth chart. Speaking of the import draft, the uh, Medicine Hat Tigers had the first pick and they draft a Slovakian forward, Adam Sikora, who is uh, ranked about second-round pick for the 2022 NHL draft. We'll see as that is a week away. Uh, we'll see where Sikora goes. A couple of Italians uh, being taken fairly high in the import draft this year. I noticed a Bulgarian as well taken. No Russians or uh, Belarusians officially drafted this year unless they had already previously been drafted. That's why there actually were a couple of Russians who were taken, but their rights had already been owned by a CHL team, uh, as well as a Belarusian goaltender, Ivan Zhigolov, who played in the queue last year. I'm not sure why Sherbrooke uh, dropped him, uh, but Kingston picked up his rights in the import draft. The Edmonton Oil Kings added one forward, a German by the name of Luca Hoff, who appears to be a goal scorer. Average size, just under 6 feet tall, but 180-ish, 185 pounds, and listed as a center-slash-right wing, and 
doesn't surprise me that they went with Fords because I think that's uh, the area of their roster that is going to take the biggest hit after the uh, players who were on the team this year, uh, many of them age out or graduate to the next level. A couple of trades here in the WHL. One pretty significant one just happening on uh, Thursday as the rights to Brad Lambert were traded by the Saskatoon Blades to the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, they get a fourth and a sixth round pick and then a couple of uh, conditional picks. Obviously, that would be conditional if he actually goes to Seattle, but those would be a first and a second rounder. If you're Seattle, you got to feel pretty confident that he's coming. It sounds like uh, during the NHL Combine uh, interviews that uh, Lambert made it uh, known that he is uh, interested in coming over and playing in the WHL next year, should the NHL team that uh, drafts him uh, suggest that or would like him to do that. I think that would be a good move for him uh, to play with his peers for a full season and uh, play a more NHL-style schedule. I imagine he'll be here in Edmonton for the uh, the do-over of the 2022 World Junior Championship, so maybe he just goes from Edmonton uh, out to Seattle uh, for the start of the WHL season. We'll have to see. I missed this one earlier, but the Winnipeg Ice traded Chase Wheatcroft to the Prince George Cougars, which I found interesting. They traded him for a fourth-round pick. They acquired him from the Lethbridge Hurricanes for much more than that at the trade deadline. They gave up a really good player in Braden Edwards, and they traded a fourth-rounder and a second-round pick to get him. They also got a fifth-rounder uh, with Wheatcroft. But then to trade Wheatcroft to Prince George for just a fourth-rounder, that uh, that was an eyebrow-raiser for me. When college hockey news uh, to pass on, the Big Ten has uh, added both UCLA and USC to the conference. Now, that would be not necessarily for hockey. In fact, right now they don't have hockey teams. But I thought, hey, isn't that great? That's kind of a at least a primary step or a first step, even if it's a very small step, to eventually maybe one day seeing both of those uh, institutions having a Division One hockey team. Well, Adam Woden from College Hockey News uh, saw my tweet and said, uh, how is it a step closer? And he, and he has said that, it hasn't helped Illinois, Purdue, Northwestern, Iowa, Rutgers, or Maryland one iota uh, to getting a Division One hockey program, which, hey, he's a lot closer to it than I am, so I'm not going to argue with Adam. Uh, those are uh, those are fair points for sure. I think everybody would love to see it, though, and uh, just getting excited about it. I know the University of Michigan, the hockey team, welcomed UCLA and USC to the Big Ten and posted pictures of uh, UCLA and USC's hockey teams, the goaltender for UCLA and a captain for the Trojans. Uh, pretty sharp-looking uniforms, both of them. College hockey uniforms, a lot of them are really, really awesome. So maybe it's a good thing, maybe it means nothing. I'll have to get Adam on the show in a couple of weeks, and uh, we'll talk to him about it. Uh, and lastly, before uh, we get to the guest list for this week, I mentioned the World Junior Championship. Well, Hockey Canada is taking it on the chin right now and taking it in the wallet as a number of sponsors have pulled out their advertising support for the upcoming World Junior Championship. And that is in response to what's happened here. And in case uh, you haven't heard, in I don't want to get my facts screwed up, but uh, there was a sexual assault case. Uh, I believe it was with the 2018 World Junior Championship Club. Anyway, eight members of a World Junior Championship for Team Canada uh, have been accused of sexual harassment, of basically raping this girl during an off-season uh, Hockey Canada function at a hotel. Uh, it went before 
parliament in Canada. And the ramifications of this is that I believe the government, I might have to get somebody who knows everything about this to, to come on the show and explain it as well. But it sounds to me like uh, the government is going to create an outlet for anyone involved in junior hockey to come to them if there are issues, which I've argued for a long time is what needs to happen because there needs to be an independent review board. And apparently that's what this is going to be, which is great. I spend a lot of time defending the Canadian Hockey League uh, because there are really, really good aspects of the CHL. But then you get some bad apples who uh, spoil the bunch for everybody. And I think penalties for whether they're players or whether they're coaches who abuse players or it's uh, ownership or management that uh, circumvents rules and cheats and you know import draft or whatever it is, anything that is... Uh, despicable and obviously abuse or rape of anyone is absolutely disgusting it needs to be rooted out i think you got to come down with a hammer on anyone who breaks this, these types of laws or league rules to get it out of junior hockey um, so i think it's incumbent on hockey canada to do the right thing apparently they didn't even make the eight players who haven't been named didn't make them uh, participate in the police investigation which is, that's awful. Like, those eight players, sh at the very least, shouldn't be allowed to represent Canada in international events. I don't know who those eight players are, but that would be at the very least of their penalties. Anyway, we'll have to get somebody, on, I'll have to get somebody on the show who can uh, explain more about the circumstances and the ramifications, but uh, Hockey Canada is definitely taking it in the wallet right now. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Based out of Red Deer, you can go right into the tap room and enjoy some uh, exclusive beverages right on tap. It's not just a delicious crafted beer. They got a lot of spirits and uh, as well as soda that they make right there as well. Right now they've got an Italian Pilsner that they just call Copper. That's one that I haven't tried yet. The Knights Who Say Nay, it's an IPA. Remember they had a bracket challenge with uh, a bunch of their seasonals. I believe it was the Knights Who Say Nay that won the bracket challenge, so they've brought it back. Anyway, go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. Available anywhere in Alberta at any liquor store, and if they don't have it when you go in there, demand that they get it because it is available to them. But if you're in Calgary or Edmonton or Red Deer, you can uh, place an order online at troubledmonk.com slash shop, and then you can go to one of three locations to pick up that order. In Red Deer, it would be at the tap room in Edmonton at the Bountiful Farmer's Market, and in Calgary at the Calgary Farmer's Market. Troubledmonk.com slash shop. Before I tell you who is on the show this week, a reminder that Pro Stock Hockey is your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment, whether it's gloves or sticks, or you want to get some tape rolls, everything you want is available at ProStockHockey.com. New girdles and shells are in stock from the Minnesota Wild. And uh, recently I saw that they uh, received practice jerseys from the Arizona Coyotes. Just check out their website for all the latest additions to their inventory. All right, here is the guest list for this weekend. By the way, it's uh, Canada Day here in Canada, so uh, happy Canada Day. And it is uh, July 4th weekend in the United States, so to all my American friends, cheers to you as well. Here is uh, this week's guest list. We started it last week, the Scout Series, where we're going to pick the brain of a number of scouts. We're going to get uh, one scout to tackle a specific category of players and give us five or six names from that category. Here's what we did. Scott Wheeler is my guest, and he is taking on the small guys, the diminutive dynamos. 
available in the class of 2022. He's going to lead off the show. After that, it'll be Joel Henderson from Puck Preps. And Joel has uh, selected the Playmakers uh, from the draft class. After Joel, we've got Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News and uh, Tony's category are the Boom Bust guys with Brock Otten of McKean's Hockey following him up. And uh, Brock has got the overage players, guys who have gone through the draft once or twice already. Not going to fall through the cracks again. And Brock tells us about some of those guys. And we will end this week's episode with a player who is draft eligible for the first time this year. His name is Cole Spicer. He plays for the National Development Program. Or at least he did for the last two seasons. Next year, he's going to the University of Minnesota Duluth to join Scott Sandlin and the Bulldogs. We'll get to know him this week as well. So an absolutely loaded show. This has been a longer opening segment uh, than I had hoped for. It is a very long episode, so let's get right to it. Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. He is up first here on The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. The Blazers, Stankoven, left wing, trying to work around Dory. And does uh, Stankoven and shoots! From his knees! Stankoven goes top cheese! And this is the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, my uh, first guest this week as we uh, get into the uh, Start picking the brains of the scouts as the NHL draft right around the corner now. It seems like we've been waiting forever uh, for this draft, uh, and it is uh, finally on the horizon. Scott Wheeler from The Athletic is my guest. Uh, Scott, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm out in St. John right now for the Memorial Cup. It's mm-hmm. the off day between the semifinal and the final here. I've got the CHL awards in about two hours' time. Uh, and then excited for for tomorrow and the end of our junior hockey season. It is really the end, and man, it's been a, such a long season. It's been like ten months basically since we started yeah. going this year. So it's been a long one, and uh, not a whole lot of off season, eh? With the Holinka Gretzky Cup in early August and the World Junior, the the do over, the 2022 uh, World Junior again in August up here in Edmonton. I imagine you're going to be around for that. Yeah, Corey and I, my colleague at The Athletic, divide, uh, sort of divided and conquered on those two. Neither of us were particularly excited about spending three weeks uh, of our summer uh, sort of working. So he's <laughs> going to uh, he's going to take the Holinka and I'm going to take the World Juniors, and we're just going to go about it that way. So I will be in Edmonton for whatever it is, 12, 13 days in August. 
Uh, and I'm looking forward to getting back out there. I was in Edmonton. Corey couldn't make it up due to the pandemic restrictions at the time, but mm-hmm. I was in Edmonton, obviously, in December and was bummed, as bummed as everybody else to, uh, although certainly not, not quite as bummed as the players, I'm sure, but was, was very bummed when I had to sort of impromptu cancel my hotel and find a flight home, right? right. So it was, uh, it'll, it'll be good to get it. I think it's going to be a different feel and different atmosphere than we're used to. But for the players, it's still the World Juniors. There's still a gold medal on the line. It's still going to end up in the TSN montages, and I think I think they are going to treat it the same way, even if even if maybe the buzz isn't the same as it is around Christmas time. It'll be a different temperature too. That's one of the things I'm most excited about having being living here is ha- all my uh, media colleagues from around the world who are only ever in Edmonton around uh, January when it's uh, you know minus thirty sometimes. Uh, now it's going to be like plus thirty, plus thirty five. Uh, it'll be a different experience for for all the visitors too. Definitely, it was numbingly cold. Uh, I recall this year there were a couple of. I had a, my hotel was about a ten minute walk from the rink, and I had a couple of walks where uh, the the nose is clogging up and right. the eyelashes are freezing, kind of thing. So uh, very much looking forward to to the summer piece of the puzzle here. All right, well, let's get to uh, what I brought you in for is to talk about the NHL draft. And, uh, oh, first off, uh, you, you did a story with Nick Moldenhauer during the World U18, uh, which I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I, I had him on the show a couple Thank of weeks you. ago, and uh, I mentioned it uh, during that that interview as well. But, man, you've, you've done a bang-up job with all your stuff at The Athletic. Uh, for those who aren't subscribing yet, uh, do yourself a favor because uh, Scott's work is outstanding. All right, uh, I wanted to chat with you about five guys, and I gave you a category. I gave you a list of categories to pick from. We're going to pick five guys from your category of choice, which is the small guys of the draft. So five small guys this year uh, who are uh, uh, players that that you like, and I know some of them you ranked uh, fairly high, and uh, we'll get to a a player that you like um, outside of the category that uh, is a player that you like more than most people do, and and one uh, at the other end of the spectrum as well. But Let's start with the five small guys, and um, we can begin with Matthew Savoy, who won't surprise anybody. He's ranked uh, fairly high, but uh, not a big player listed at 5'9 and 180-ish pounds. Matthew Savoy of the uh, Winnipeg Ice from St. Albert. Give us uh, your insight on Matthew Savoy and why you think he, he deserves to be taken so high. Well, Savoy's a kid who has been in my top five all year. I don't expect him to be selected there, but I really do believe that he belongs in that range. Uh, and he just strikes me as the kid that's going to go eight or ninth or tenth overall and is going to really impress some people long term. Uh, despite 5'9", you listed off his 180-ish pounds there, and he is a very, very athletic kid. He's a strong kid. Uh I, I've spoken with James Patrick and the staff there at length about him over the course of this season. And the one thing they always say is he is built sort of below the waist. He's strong. He's got sort of the, the classic thick legs that every hockey player uh, works towards. So uh, lots to like about that piece of the puzzle. And I think because of that, he and because of the way that he plays, there's a real opportunity for him to stick at center. I know that James Patrick has pushed scouts on that all year. There are many teams that believe that Matt Savoy is going to be a winger at the next level. He has been a natural center his entire life, played a bit of wing in the playoffs as they juggled their lines, uh, was slid onto the wing with Connor Geeky and another top draft eligible prospect in this group and uh, played well on the wing, but wasn't at his best and was a little bit banged up and then suffered a shoulder injury that ended his year. And I think the combination of uh, a good but not great playoffs and the injury may result in him slipping a little bit uh, on top of the size piece. 
but an explosive player, one of the very best skaters in this draft, uh, right up there with Frank Nazar, Brad Lambert, I would say are as uh, the three sort of premium skaters in this draft. Uh, explosive first three steps, as quick uh, first three steps as any player in the draft, that's for sure. Uh, and then with the puck on his stick, dynamic, creative, can really shoot it uh, and score from mid-range. Uh, and then on top of all of that, on top of the skill, and there aren't many players in the draft that have that skill skating combination, he's he's a hound. That's that's his, his, his calling card. His trademark is that he just works hard. His motor is always running. He's moving out there. He's chasing down pucks. He's finishing his checks. Uh, so doesn't play the, the perimeter sort of style that you might expect out of a, a skill five foot nine player. He's in the guts of it. He's in the mix at all times. And that has really endeared him to a lot of folks. So uh, I, I'm of the mind if he's there sort of back, back end of the top 10, that he could, could become a guy who five, 10 years from now, we're doing the, the redrafts that we always do. And he's a top five guy rather than a top 10 guy. 35 goals this year, 55 assists. Uh, definitely a sniper. Do you see him more as a shooter than a than a setup guy? He can certainly do both. Yeah, he's he's got the cleverness and the vision to do both for sure. Uh, but definitely likes to pull the trigger. Has that that sort of quick NHL release. It hides on his blade until he it, sort of the moment that he gets rid of it. He's got a one timer. He can shoot it moving. He can shoot it standing still. Uh, a lot to like about about the shot. Him and his brother Carter both have just sort of natural goal scorer shots, uh, and obviously Carter's uh, recently signed in Edmonton. So um, they're 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 the real deal as shooters. Him and him and Carter. Carter's comes off maybe a little heavier than Matt's does, but Matt gets it off just as quick, and and that's what most goal scorers do these days. If there's a concern, you mentioned a, a, you know a, an okay playoff, and then he got hurt against the Oil Kings, but is it the size and and once we saw him in the playoffs and things got a little tighter checking uh, where he wasn't as effective is that the only concern that you can think of yeah that just plus a combination of guys that people grew to like uh, in the second half i think cutter gotier wasn't in the conversation with with matt savoy in the first half for example but as the season progressed cutter went from a guy who was projected to go into the in the teams in the middle of the first round to a guy who was in the six, seven, eight conversation that Matt, Matt was in for a lot of this year. So uh, I think that has, has also just, he softened almost by proxy to the other guys in his range because Cutter did what he did in the second half. Jonathan Leckert-Mackey was the MVP at U18 Worlds. Everybody was watching U18 Worlds rather than the WHL playoffs at the time. And all of the scouts in the league were there seeing Leckert-Mackey look like a star. So just those those little things sort of happen late in the year, typically for a player or two, uh, and it can have not a huge impact, but maybe a slight one, one or two spots, uh, that kind of a thing. And I think that's what's happened with Matt. Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, my guest. Uh, let's continue on. Isaac Howard is the next guy on the list to chat about the monster season for the U18 program. Uh, 18, uh, excuse me, 82 points in 60 games this year. Uh, future Minnesota Golden Gopher. Tell me about Isaac Howard. Yeah, Howard's one of the three or four kids I've really stuck my neck out on in this draft. A big, big, big believer. Another kid, even stockier and stronger, despite the five foot nine listing. Uh, He's bigger than than Matt Savoy, even. You run into him, he's got this sort of boxy, square shoulders. He's a very muscular, athletic kid. Uh, He's heavy for his size. So, and you can see it when he skates, too. He's he's a very good skater, I'd say a well above average skater. Uh, but it's a, it's a very sort of 
choppy crossover style rather than kind of the smooth extensions that you see in a player like Savoy. Uh, and, and you can see the sort of ice below him just with how strong and powerful he is. So that's a big piece of the puzzle with him. I think it's one of the reasons I'm a big believer in his skill, uh, which is clear cut uh, in, in it translating. I think he's going to be an impactful freshman in college hockey, kind of a challenges for point per game kind of guy in freshman as a freshman next year. Uh, one of the better first year players I expect. And then you go from there. He believes he's capable of being one and done. He told me that. Uh, I, I don't think that's probably the best route for him. He strikes me as a guy who should probably spend two or three years. Uh, but uh, the skill is clear. The production is absolutely clear uh we almost never profile players who look like him and don't make it he is a kid who just has a statistical profile that typically always translates into an impact player at the nhl level he's been the top scorer at the program each of the last two years uh before that at shattuck st mary's played up in age group and was looked like a star prospect there uh so just yeah, he just keeps producing. He just keeps putting the puck in the net. And then on top of all that, I think he uses space inside the offensive zone better than anybody in this draft. He just always seems to be open, standing in the slot, ready to accept a pass and put it in the back of the net. And that's a skill. It's hard to enter into those spaces at just the right time to get open, to not linger in those spaces so that you become a marked man. Uh, it, it's it's a talent to move off the puck and and get yourself open and then on top of that he's once he gets the puck he can either rip it into the back of the net with that strength that he has or he can make a quick play with with excellent excellent hands to beat a goalie so uh, I think he's going to fill the net he may not be a two-way player at the NHL level but I don't think you have to be and I don't think every NHL roster needs 12 guys who who play a 200 foot checking game I, I know some teams believe that they need that, but I think you can have a little bit of everything. I think that's why Carter Savoy, uh, Matt's brother, is going to make it as a very one-dimensional player, and I think it's why he should have gone much higher than he did when he was drafted 100th overall. Uh, and that's not to say that the concerns that existed about about Carter Savoy are anything like the ones that existed about Isaac. Uh, Carter was a very sort of perceived to be a lazy player, and I don't think people would say that about Isaac at all, at least not anymore. Um, so a tricky one with Isaac, you're a five foot nine left winger and the defensemen and centers typically tend to be the first names called off the board. So maybe he falls into the twenties, but I think if he's available in the twenties, he's going to be uh, uh, an excellent value pick long-term. Yeah. 33 goals this year in 60 games for the national development program. And then he had six and six games at the world U18. So was that really the, the, uh, the tournament where he established himself as that upper tier sort of guy? Certainly early on, uh, he was the best player in the tournament through the first few games, uh, famously had a four goal game and uh, was just sort of outstanding in, early on in Germany. I thought he faded. I think most scouts agree that he faded a little bit, mm. uh, cr sort of crunch time in the semifinal and final. He didn't play his best. And as a result, him and Frank Nazar, who was his centerman, uh, weren't the, the line that they were going to for offensive zone situations, which was the case for much of this season. And instead, Logan Cooley, Cutter Gauthier, and Jimmy Snuggerud were the trio that was going over the boards for offensive zone draws. Um, so there was a bit of the, a bit of uh, sort of cooling off, but uh, he was still great, all told, and uh, had a couple of tremendous performances where I believe he had nine or ten shots on goal and was clearly the best player on the ice. 
All right, let's go with a defenseman, and it won't surprise anybody who's following the draft that if we're talking about a small, exciting defenseman, it's uh, Lane Hudson from the development program as well. Listed at 5'8 and uh, just a hair under 160 pounds, so he's extremely tiny, but oh my gosh, what a thrill uh, a minute to watch this guy on the ice. Uh, Tell me about Lane Hudson and why I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you had him at the tail end of your first round ranking. I did, yeah. I've had uh, my last two rankings, my midseason ranking and my final ranking here, he has been in the first round for me. He began as a second rounder for me and has worked his way into that 20s, maybe even 19, 18 range for me now. So uh, I'm a big, big believer in Lane. I think uh, he's going to fall just because, fall further than where I have him ranked at least, just because there aren't enough teams that have the same belief as I do. But ultimately, all it takes is one. Uh, I'm not sure whether that one team will pull the trigger in the first round. I also think that the team that is angling to draft him and that wants to select him is likely going to play the odds, believing that other teams don't feel the same way and will thus uh, allow him to fall. So I do think there's almost going to be some teams talking themselves out of picking him, even the ones that do like him, just because they they think they can sort of play the odds and get him later. Right. Uh, but in saying that, I think he's going to be a unicorn. There, There is obviously no defenseman in the NHL playing at his listed height or weight. He told me he was 150 pounds and 5'8", um, and, he, and that was a few months ago, and I don't believe he has grown much uh, since then, so uh, maybe, maybe 155 pounds now if he's lucky. But the smallest defenseman in the NHL last year was Jared Spurgeon, and the second smallest was Sam Girard, and they're both 170 and 5'9", right? So uh, if he makes it, he will be a singular player in the league. And I think he's capable of doing that. I've never seen a a defenseman play like him. I've never seen a defenseman drive play like him. Uh, He just controls the game out there. And even defensively, where he may not be the strongest kid, he is a good skater. His his stride is a little bit rushed. Uh, He can look a little hectic out there with his skating. Uh, but a good skater who has an excellent, excellent, excellent stick. Uh, maybe one of the two or three best sticks in the draft defensively. And as a result, he defends quite well. Uh, there's there's some limitations for sure, but every defenseman has limitations. The six foot six defenseman also has limitations, right? And uh, I think with the way that he manages the puck and his vision and his creativity and his ability to create something out of nothing and his ability to quarterback the power play, that he's going to become an NHLer. He's just going to be too good at all of those things to be kept out of the league. Uh, so I, I truly believe he's going to make it, and he's not just going to be a third-pairing guy who runs a power play. I think he's going to be an impactful NHL player. And if he does become that, he belongs as a first-rounder in the same way that Olin Zellweger belonged as a first-rounder last year. And I think if we were to, to do a redraft of last year's draft, the player who rises the most is, is Olin Zellweger, who was ultimately taken in the second round. So I, I think teams will will watch that same sort of fate play out for Hudson uh, if they pass on him for too long. Everybody's going to be looking for the next Kale McCarr now. Are there some McCarr-like qualities that Hudson brings? As I know it's a lofty bar to, to set there, but the, some of the highlight reels that I've seen, and that's all I've really seen, for Hudson, I mean, he's he's all over the ice in the offensive zone. He's just doing laps out there, kind of like we've seen McCarr do. Yeah, certainly inside the offensive zone, there's a lot of that. I would say that the length of the ice, he, he just doesn't have the skating that McCarr has, right? Sk- McCarr's that brilliant sort of shifty, shimmy, head fake guy at the top of the point, and that's what that's Hudson's bread and butter is 
making people miss at the top of the offensive zone blue line and then making a play out of it a lot like the car almost singularly does in the NHL these days and a lot like for a long time Eric Carlson did uh, so Hudson has that. He he can just make something happen at the offensive zone. He's fearless when pressure is coming at him. And he almost always beats pressure uh, to make something happen like McCarr does. But the, the length of the ice, he doesn't have that smooth sort of effortless stride that McCarr does. Okay. Uh, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, my guest. We're looking at small guys uh, of note for the 2022 NHL draft. And the next guy is uh, Jordan Dume of the Halifax Mooseheads, who set records for his own team. Uh, for scoring this year, and yet was not an invitee to the CHL Top Prospect game, which surprised a lot of people, myself included. Uh, Jordan Dume, it was a terrific interview when I had him on the show. Uh, what a monster season, though. 39 goals, about 109 points in 68 games. Uh, there's lots to like here, isn't there? No question. Uh, he is the most productive first-year draft eligible in the QMJ, Charlton, Sidney Crosby. And Anytime you're in that kind of a conversation, you deserve a ton of respect, no matter what your game looks like or how you did it. Uh, ultimately, a, a goal is a goal is a goal, right? And there are questions about his size. He's five foot eight, five foot nine, and there are questions about his skating. And I think the combination of that is what teams really fear. Teams are not necessarily as averse to smaller players as they maybe were five, six, seven years ago, even. Uh, but they are still very averse to the slow small player. And I wouldn't call him slow. I actually think he moves just fine from A to B. And the staff in, in Halifax, the coaching staff and the management group there would both tell you the same thing and have told me the same thing. He led that team in takeaways. He was their best guy along the wall winning battles. Uh, all of that is is true about his game. And they don't believe that he uh, moves slowly. But there, it does look awkward. He His stride doesn't look like uh, most strides in the NHL do. And that has people a little bit worried about whether his, he'll be able to translate against bigger, stronger, faster opponents at the next level. But there, you just have to find that limit and where that limit is for you. And for me, I've settled on that limit as kind of right outside the first round. He was kind of 33, 34, 35, 36 on my board all year. Uh, and I think he absolutely belongs there. There are about 28 or 29 guys who I'm really confident should be first-round picks in this draft class. And then he's right in that group of seven or eight that I would argue either if they don't uh, go late first, that they belong late second. And the thing with Dume is that he's not even going to go, uh, or, or I should say early second rather than late second. But the thing about Dume is he's not even going to go early second, I don't think. So uh, I expect him to linger. I expect him to be uh, available late second, maybe even early third. And in that range, I think he should become a no-brainer and he will be no less risky of a pick. In fact, I would argue he would be a much safer pick than all of the other players that will still be there. Wow. All right. Jordan Dume from the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, Let's move on to uh, Jagger Furkus of the Moose Jaw Warriors. I think kind of a late uh, uh, riser up the draft, maybe in the second half, but I know there were people who saw him uh, earlier on who were big fans of him. I I think a lot of people thought, well, he might be my secret weapon. Uh, I hope nobody picks up on him. And then, of course, everybody did. Uh, But listed at 5'10 and about 160-ish pounds, maybe a little less than that. Uh, There's lots to like about this guy as well. So talented. Uh, And uh, leading a a young group of Moose Jaw Warriors right now, that's going to be a good team to watch next year. That is going to be a ton of fun to watch next year. And they, it's been nice to see them come out of a rebuild uh, like they have because it was ugly for a couple of years and they now look 
like one of the more exciting teams to pay attention to. And it's good. I think, I think the WHL is in a better spot when Moose Jaw is a competitive team. So, uh, so there's just so much history there, but, uh, but on specifically on Jaeger, I mean, he is an electric player. He on the puck, he's as dynamic as just about any player in this draft. He can break a shift open with a cut through the middle of the ice into a shot. Uh, he's an excellent passer. He's got some of the better hands in the draft, but he's also a very, very skinny kid. Not as short as some of the other players we've talked about here, but very skinny. He has struggled uh, to add muscle. He's just one of those natural athletes who burns through fat and has that that sort of athlete metabolism that doesn't allow you to to add muscle and put on weight. So it's been a bit of a grind for him, but uh, if you were to ask him about it, he's defiant. He says it is a non-issue. He says he'll play at 160 pounds if he has to, and he thinks he's going to be just as effective and all the power to him. He's a very confident kid. He believes in himself and he's got the tools. I mean, the, the, the skating, the handling, the shooting, the passing, the sort of offensive instincts, uh, the approach. He's not a perimeter player. He likes to attack the middle. So, uh, there's there's a lot to like there. I really I, I'm a, I'm in a, the same places on him as I am on on Dume, where those guys should be late first rounders or early second rounders, and if they aren't, I think they they could get good value. But certainly he is viewed in a much different light than Dume. Uh, he's a consensus amongst NHL scouts. Uh, probably ten out of ten times, he, he's, if you ask an NHL scout, they'll tell you he's a better prospect than Dume. So very different ranges in terms of where they're expected to go. Uh, but both uh, players that really excite me, Furcus in particular, I think, uh, really wowed people at the top prospects game. He was the best player on the ice by a wide margin. And uh, from that point forward, there was, as you as you kind of alluded to, there was no keeping him secret. Yeah, that goal that he scored at the top prospect game, that move that he pulled, can he do that at the professional level, though, when he's going against bigger, stronger guys? Is that the big question? Can he be that effective at, as he says, 160 pounds, he'll play that way, uh, but can he? That's that's the million-dollar question, and I think that's the reason he's not going to go maybe top 20, where on talent he belongs. Right. Uh, but that's the evaluation that you have to start making in the late first round as to whether that is your threshold for, for pulling the trigger on a kid who's sort of as slight as he is. And I, I'd be I'd be comfortable there. I mean, it obviously depends who else is available and how the draft plays out, et cetera. But I fully expect that come the 20s, he's going to be one of the three or four players that I, I'd be banging the table for. Uh, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic is my guest. All right, that's five guys, five smaller guys uh, for the draft that we need to know about. Uh, I did ask you for a player that, uh, that you like probably more than most uh, people in your walk of uh, of your profession, the uh, guys who are evaluating players and talent for the for the NHL draft, and the guy you offered up is David Goyette of the Sudbury Wolves. I think most people probably have him as a what top forty five, but not necessarily in the first round. Yeah. Uh, what about for you, Scott? Yeah, Goyette. Ironically enough, another kid who isn't the biggest in stature. He's five ten, uh, built similarly to to Matt Savoy in that he's a very athletic five ten. Uh, looks like a hockey player that way. Uh, so no issues there. He he doesn't have that slight build that that a Jager Furcus has, uh, but uh, a very good skater, a, a lot like Savoy that way. One of the best skaters in the draft, I would probably argue that Goyette, right after those three that I mentioned of Lambert Goy of Lambert Savoy and Nazar, uh, Goyette's right in that conversation as the fourth, fifth, sixth best skater in the draft. Uh, very athletic, smooth skating kid who 
isn't just fast in straight lines, but agile cutting. That's his bread and butter. He's sort of cutting into holes, finding gaps in coverage and slicing it up and making something out of nothing while doing so. So a very talented player. His hands keep up with his feet, which isn't always the case with these kids. Um, And he's also, I think, underrated in terms of how determined and scrappy he is out there. If you talk to the guys in Sudbury, all they all they rave about are all of the times where he raced into the corner against a bigger player and willed something into existence by getting inside positioning, fighting for the puck, finishing a check, and then making something happen. And that's not tend that doesn't tend at least publicly in, in the the evaluations that are done. That doesn't tend to be the way that people talk about him. So I think there's some sneaky value there that way. Uh, and then on top of that, he, just a very talented player who was on a Sudbury team that was extremely young this year and will be a, ton, a lot like Moose Jaw, a ton of fun to watch next season. Uh, I think he's going to lead that team and I think he's going to explode in a big way. And I've said this repeatedly over the course of this year, but I fully expect that he's going to have the kind of season that Philip Tomasino and Connor McMichael had after they were drafted in the OHL. Both those guys were late firsts. I expect that uh, he'll be a second. Goyette will be a second. But I fully expect to go where they did, which is from 70 points to 100 points in a hurry. And a completely different conversation that follows you as a prospect when you score 100 points as an 18-year-old. So that's that's my expectation for him. I truly believe that Goyette is going to be one of the top producers in the OHL next year. This should have been his second season in the OHL, but of course no OHL season last year. And you wonder how much that affected this season. I mean, he had a great year, 33 goals and 73 points, but maybe he could have been an 80-90 point guy without having lost last season. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a big part of it with a lot of these kids. It's funny. He actually went south to play in the NCDC, which is really the, the top uh, level below the USHL in the States. And because he wasn't a college committed player, after tearing it up for a few games, they booted him out of the league because uh, he, he didn't have college in his future. And that's one of the requirements to play in the NCDC. So uh-huh. a little bit of a funny story last year where uh, apparently he had quite the meeting and they, they basically told him to get lost. Uh, so there was that happened last year on top of that. And then he actually went and played for the Hawkesbury Hawks, his hometown junior A team. Uh, but none of the stats were recorded because they were playing in a series amongst other junior A teams uh, in Eastern Ontario, and it wasn't technically sanctioned by the league. But okay. by all accounts in that, at that level, he was brilliant and by far the best player as a 16-year-old playing uh, with with four or five pretty good junior A teams. So I think some scouts that were that went out there to, to see him play during that were impressed by what they saw. So there, there's some sort of there's there are some stories kicking around and I'm not sure every team uh, is is as familiar with him as maybe they could be. And as a result, there are definitely teams that have a bigger book on him than most. All right. The last guy to get to is uh, someone that uh, doesn't mean that you don't like him at all. It just means that uh, the, if if you were drafting and somebody uh, ahead of you selected him, you'd be okay with it because it means somebody you like more has fallen one more spot closer to you. Uh, so Reed Schaefer of the Seattle Thunderbirds is, is the guy that we're going to chat about now. Uh, you don't like him as much as maybe the consensus, but that doesn't mean you don't like him at all. Uh, what are your thoughts on Schaefer? Yeah, Schaefer's an interesting player. He's a very unique player in this draft class. He's one of the meaner, more physical players, plays a very north-south game, kind of a a throwback-style player who uh, plays on instinct, puts a lot of pucks on net, drives the net. There's not a lot of inventiveness or ingenuity or creativity to his game, if you will. 
but he plays hard. He finishes his checks and there's a belief amongst many that he, he does that so proficiently that he should, he belongs as a uh, sort of first round pick. Who's a projectable top nine winger who can kind of play the, the meat and potatoes role and, and score some goals with his shot uh, playing alongside maybe more talented players. And there's a belief out there that he can kind of be up and down your lineup and that he'll be valuable enough in that role that he belongs in the first round. I'm just not quite there. I think they're, the outcome for him is much more likely a bottom six player. He might be a very good one. And sometimes those guys are worth first round picks, but that's not the players I'd be targeting with a first round pick. And if he becomes one of the better bottom six players in the league, if he becomes a Brandon Hagel, uh, that type of talent, then certainly Brandon Hagel is a first round kind of guy now. Uh, but I'm just not sure that's the approach you should be taking. I, I think you can more readily acquire a Brandon Hagel by going out and signing him in free agency or trading for him after he becomes Brandon Hagel than going out and seeking that player out in the draft when I think you're better served swinging for the fences on someone who can be a true sort of impact offensive player. Right. So uh, that tends to be my my modus operandi with the draft. And as a result, I tend to be a little bit lower on the projectable sort of plug and play NHL player. Um, and maybe Reed Schaefer becomes more than that. I know there are some who believe that he might even have some Tom Wilson upside in him. Uh, and Tom Wilson's a very good player. So uh, it's just a tricky conversation with him because I'd, I'd be comfortable taking Reed Schaefer in the second or third round, but a first round pick is an extremely valuable asset. And I would much sooner take a Jagger Furcus uh, in the twenties uh, or early thirties than I would take a, a Reed Schaefer. All right. Makes a lot of sense to me. Scott, I told you I'd keep you about 20 minutes and I kept you 30. So my apologies for that. Uh, before I let you go, uh, what do you got coming up? Uh, at the Athletic, uh, after the Memorial Cup and ahead of the World Junior, you got something in there? The big thing between uh, the Memorial Cup and the draft is is my player, staff, and scout survey. I've uh, tried to build the biggest survey that I could possibly build this year, and I went on a much greater scale with my survey this year than I ever have. And the result is actually a, it's a 125 people and counting I've spoken to for it. Wow. So that's a project that I'm trying to uh, establish as, as kind of my most ambitious project of the year. And I'm, I'm very excited to share it. So that'll be out in a few days. And then from there, we're, uh, we're full into to NHL draft coverage and uh, the sort of grades and winners and losers that, that we do at the athletic, which is a tricky game to play because yeah. you're evaluating it in the moment, yeah. but, uh, but something that certainly our readers eat up and that we feel obligated to, to do and, and do as best we can. So uh, excited to get out to Montreal and, and break it all down. Scott, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you very much for uh, being available for the pipeline show. Your work is outstanding and it's a, a treat to get you on the program. Thanks as always. That is a long segment with uh, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, but uh, what a terrific job he does, and outstanding writer. If you haven't uh, read his stuff yet, uh, do yourself a favor. Subscribe to The Athletic, even if you're doing it just for what Scott writes. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of great writers associated with The Athletic and uh, a wealth of information, but uh, he does a fantastic job uh, covering prospects and the draft, uh, and that's why he's one of the guys I definitely want to get on the show leading up to the draft itself. Next up, a first-timer on the Pipeline Show. His name is Joel Henderson. He uh, covers prospects for FC Hockey as well as puck preps. And we'll get to know him and his list of 
top playmakers in the draft for him. That is next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Azarev, still with the puck. Fires across and they score! Pierre-Luc Dubois on the one-timer, wires it past Bo Taylor. Hey, it's Pierre-Luc Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Are you a U15 or U17 player looking to sharpen up your skills, have fun, and get conditioned for the upcoming hockey season? Let our coaches and players get you ready at the Spruce Grove Saints 4th Annual Hockey School, brought to you by NextGen Transportation. The camp takes place August 22nd to 26th at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. The camp includes over 10 hours of on and off ice training. For more details and to register for the camp, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca slash community slash hockey school today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Key Flaming. Yo, ding dong, man. Ding dong. Ding dong, yo. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Key Flaming. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Two locations, one in Spruce Grove, one in Leduc. But if you're in Western Canada, you don't have to make that drive in. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, as we continue on with our uh, scout series, we're pleased to be joined now by Joel Henderson from uh, Puck Preps. Uh, Joel, welcome to the Pipeline Show, I believe. First time I've had you on the program. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've chatted with you off and on and traded messages with you, but I think this is the first time you've been on the show. This is the first time we've exchanged actual voices, yes. That's it. <laughs> happy to be here. Happy to talk to you. Well, pleased to uh, get this opportunity. Tell me about uh, Puck Preps and uh, where that is, uh, how people can get a hold of it, and uh, when did it all start for you there? Uh, so I would say February 2021, I got approached by uh, people who run Puck Preps. Um, they essentially had followed uh, draft coverage for a long time, and they felt like you know, there was still this, you know, little window of uh, providing more in-depth coverage of some of the, especially some of the top, you know, maybe a hundred players across North America, really just pressing in on, on lower age groups as well, you know, starting when they're, you know, they're 14 and kind of working their way up. And so, um, so we track a number of age groups across North America and just providing coverage. And so that includes, you know, everything from the WHL draft through the O and the Q uh, and then following a lot of the top Americans as well. And so a lot of it intersects, a lot of it, you know, goes to different things. But it means that, uh, you know, when it comes down to the WHL draft and and uh, some of the players who got taken in the U.S. draft, you know, quite often I've seen them play as far as, you know, if they played for a high-profile national team or if they were, you know, one of the top players from the region. So right. it gives us a really great opportunity to talk about um you know, how these players not only match up in their own region, but across all spectrums. And so uh, coming from a place where I, I had written for Dauber Prospects before and continue to write for FC Hockey doing NHL draft coverage, it kind of, it gave me the opportunity to really, you know, go down a few age groups and watch them progress over years. All right. Outstanding. Well, I, I approached you with uh, a list of categories to pick five guys out of, and uh, you went with the playmakers. So we're going to talk about five playmakers uh, for you. And uh, the first guy on your list was Noah Ostland, who uh, terrific when uh, I love it when my guests bring up names that I'm not super familiar with. So tell me, educate me on Noah Ostland and why he is in your uh, top five playmakers. I think he was someone that really went under the radar for a lot of people. I think on Bob McKenzie's list, he was somewhere around 
50, I think, you know, going, coming into this year, but they just, they just basically announced Bob's new list and Noah had shot up to somewhere around 22, 23, I think. Mm. And so he made a huge kind of climb and that was large in point to um, the U18s. Uh, Noah is a Swedish born player. Uh, I hadn't seen him play a ton before that, but I had just heard these rumors of him just being a really, really underrated player. Um, you know, I think he's 5'11", 165 pounds. So he's not the heaviest guy, but the one thing that he does do is he uses his speed and his reach, especially to the neutral zone. Um, quite frankly, he was one of the best playmakers and one of the best puck handlers in the entire tournament. Uh, and I think as far as uh, players coming into this draft and, and wanting your players to the neutral zone to be able to evade pressure to, to um, create, um, you know, off zone entries into the zone, create with their speed, create with their length, with their reach, and be basically under control the whole time. I think Noah is one of those guys that is sneaky good in this draft. And I think a lot of people have noticed that. Yeah, he had 10 points at the World U18 in, in just six games. He also got into 11 SHL games, no points, but a lot of guys uh, his age don't uh, produce points. They don't get a lot of ice time at that level. But when he's playing with his peer group, man, he's outstanding. 42 points in 32 games this year uh, on the U20 squad uh, in uh, in your garden. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, the, when he's playing with his, his age group, he seems to be dominant, fair to say? Yeah, and I think like especially in the group of Swedish players this year, um, especially on Jurgarden, they had um, they had three players who will you know all could be projectable first round picks in this draft, right. and they basically made up their own line. And so when it came to the U, um, you know, to the U18 championships, um, those three just basically played together and were incredibly hard to stop because they had familiarity, they had flow, they had. Uh, a little bit of everything. And the one thing that Noel Eslin brings is the playmaking style from the center of the ice. Like you can tell even at, um, you know, he scored, he scored a couple of beautiful goals at the U18, but at, you know, during J20, I mean, he's got nine goals and 33 assists. And so you can see that he's very much a, a player that, uh, that loves to create and playmake from the middle of the ice. All right. Next guy on the list is uh, Frank Nazar, the third uh, playing for the U S national development program, uh, the U 18 squad. He had 70 points in 56 games. 42 of those uh, were assists. Uh, and I guess when I'm thinking of playmakers, it is the assists that kind of jump out at me, but I don't know if that's necessarily how it is for, for everybody. When you watch Nazar play, uh, what stands out for you? Uh, so right away, I think there's, there's some players in their draft level season. One of the things that I look for is, um, are you doing things proactively? Like, are you doing things that have habit and routine, especially creating in the middle of the ice? Are you doing what is what I consider to be pre-programmed things? Like, okay, here's where the pressure is going to come, so I'm going to have to drag probably around this time. It's just guys that are kind of on autopilot. And Frank is one of those guys who is reactionary, where he's got so much puck control that he can react to the pressure in front of him, especially while moving through high um, traffic areas in the middle of the ice. And I always kind of make note of these guys because you never know how, you know, how that's going to translate. But at the next levels, um, there's these kind of players who are really, really, really able to just do that, to react to pressure and can have, create control amidst the chaos. Uh, the one thing about Frank that people kind of don't like as much is, once again, he's not the biggest of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 5'10". He plays kind of soft along the board sometimes. Like, you can pin him in deep. Um, he's not the quickest either. Like there's some to his skating stride that like sometimes he's just, he's just kind of moving in his own pace. He's, he's moving at a controlled pace, which is nice. But I just think as far as the way that he moves, the way that he looks, the way that he kind of operates, there are some shades there that remind me of, from a control standpoint of, uh, of, of guys like Robert Thomas as well. 
Um, and so, you know, Robert was a guy who, who, you know, when we look back on these drafts, I mean, he had a terrific year this year and it just comes from high IQ and, and high puck support. And I think Frank is somebody who, who has that as well. I think today he was announced like 15th on, on, you know, on Bob's list, but I, I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Nazar had some sort of a rise, uh, kind of like him or someone like Nick Suzuki or someone who kind of falls in the middle of the range of the draft and just ends up being, you know, uh, you know, maybe a really good two A center. I know I've seen him play uh, center and wing, or at least seen him listed as both. Uh, moving forward, do you see him better as a center or as a winger? You said he's a little weak along the board, so would you prefer him in the middle? I, I, I think I would prefer him in the middle, but he does have some things to work on. Like, he's got to work on his strength. He's got to work. Like, he's one of those kids that, like, he's going to succeed wherever you have him. But I think, I mean, even Robert Thomas, I think he played some right wing and stuff this year, too. So it's just, he's just a player who thrives off of um, high high puck control and so he's he's just a natural born playmaker and uh, and if he can continue to get stronger kind of thing there's a lot of guys that aren't the strongest guys in the world uh you know i watch a lot of michael backland play and, and backland for a long time had to kind of shift his perspective from being a guy that wasn't really too physical than just to using body position to his exa- advantage and and just smart plays and team style play and just great positioning and i think frank's another guy that's kind of like that too Joel Henderson from Puck Preps is my guest as we're looking at uh, five playmakers uh, from the class of 2022 that uh, stand out for Joel. And uh, Jagger Furcus is on that list, a terrific forward with the Moose Jaw Warriors. Why did, why is this a guy that you singled out as a playmaker? Uh, I mean, the reality is most guys that look like Jagger are pure playmakers um, because when they're smaller and they're, you know, so Jagger is like, I think he's listed five ten, I think 151, 155 pounds, somewhere in that in that realm. So he's very, very small, very slight, you know, as as far as most guys who you can project to have success at the next level. But he's a guy that his playmaking skills and the way that he reads pressure and the way that he can move pucks laterally, um, can evade pressure with uh with his reach and just by a little flick of the wrist passes, slip passes, all sorts of different evasion tactics. He just he just screams like we we get when I have the puck, I'm not going to turn it over. Like uh, my risk assessment, the way that I use my teammates, the way they use my vision is just like outstanding. And so a guy that that can really attack the center of the ice, even though he's uh, you know more comfortable on the wing, it's it, his his vision and the way that he can move the puck is just out of this world. I mean, even on Moose Jaw, there were many many times when they're cycling the play around on the power play, and Jagger is running the power play from the point as a forward because his vision as a playmaker and his ability to move the pucks laterally side to side is just off the charts. And so they, you know, they had, they moved uh, another draft eligible player, Denton Matejchuk to the slot area and they, they ran Jagger a lot from the point. And it's just, it speaks to his ability to, to be a really a pinpoint passer. Uh, 36 goals to go with those 44 assists. So he can do it uh, both <laughs> ways. He can set them up or he can finish well, those plays too. And that's the thing. It's like, so guys usually that are 153 pounds, you don't expect them to be uh, as good of a shooter as he is too. But because of the length of his stick, because of the whip on it, because of his pinpoint accuracy on his passing, he also has pinpoint accuracy on his shot. So he can, he can make you feel like he's going to go far side and snipe short side. He can elevate in tight. He can do all sorts of things. Like he's got a shot. I would say like, as far as the accuracy of his shot, like the way that you just trust him to, put it exactly where you want. Like, I think it's similar to the way that, uh, you know, Seth Jarvis was scoring goals in his draft award year too. So that level of control, that level of precision um, exists in Jagger too. And so he, he does that both with his passing and his shot. 
Now, Winnipeg ice forward Matthew Savoy also makes uh, this list of, of playmakers and uh, another guy who can also score them as well. But uh, uh, I think uh, everybody expects he's going to be a top 10 pick, uh, most likely. Uh, why Savoy uh, on this list for you? Savoy is, I think, especially when I think of playmakers, I think of guys who can handle the puck for very, very, very long periods of time. Like they either evade with their reach um, or with shifting laterally or bursting past you and all sorts of these things. And Savoy isn't really necessarily a really long puck handler. He doesn't like to have the puck all the time. When pressure kind of closes on him, he'd rather pass to a teammate in space than just try to do everything on his own. So he's not necessarily a typical playmaker as far as you would think in the middle of the ice. But he's still very smart and he's still very versatile and, and his gift is his feet. And so what he brings to you as a, as a playmaker is just possession. Um, so as he's kind of moving with his teammates, he's, I think is, is he probably projects to be more of a, of a complimentary third on an NHL line. So I don't think he's the guy that's going to have the, his puck on the stick all the time. And I don't think he's probably going to be the most dangerous shot option on his line either at the NHL level, hmm. but he's one of those guys that's just so versatile because of his skating and because of how, uh, how, how high he thinks the game that he's able to adjust his position. He's able to move in through the slot. He's able to, to well-time, you know, um, goals on the back end. Um, I, I see him as a very, you know, I, I look at somebody who kind of progressed through this, this year and someone who had really early success um, this year was, was some people for in the Detroit system, uh, which is Lucas Raymond. And so Lucas Raymond, the, the, the pressure was taken off of him because he didn't need to be the be all end all on a top line. Um, he was able to really adjust his position, be a smart uh, transition player, continue possession, uh, use his vision, use his speed, use his speed to adapt. And I think that's kind of what I see Savoy doing. And so he's not the prototypical give me the puck at all times playmaker, but I just think he's so smart and so adaptive that he just ends up being a guy that will rack up some assists. Right. I think his, uh, you know, my, my progression for him would probably be somewhere on a second line for an NHL team. Um, you know, maybe someone kind of like a, um, uh, with, um, and Connor, uh, Connor Garland's maybe somewhere in that kind of realm um, in the success that uh, he had in Vancouver this year. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Connor Geeky is a teammate of Matthew Savoy's. Uh, now I was, I'm intrigued to, to hear your thoughts on Geeky because I know he's a bit of a divisive uh, uh, prospect. A lot of guys, well, every, I think everybody likes his size, but there's some criticism about his skating and his uh, between the ears, his IQ when it comes to hockey. But uh, you can't be a playmaker unless you're pretty smart. So uh, tell me about uh, your thoughts on Connor Geeky. Well, Geeky, as far as the playmaking instincts, Geeky likes to handle the puck in two very specific kind of scenarios. One is off the rush. When when Geeky can um, build speed through the neutral zone, he uses his reach, he uses his intellect, he uses his uh, reaction time, and he's very hard to take the puck away from when he's wanting to zone entry. Um, he can kind of make some defenders look really foolish because he's big and he's long, and he protects the puck at his reach. And he's a very, very good playmaker. So, you know, it, it doesn't take much except for, you know, a curl pass or a flick of the wrist. And as he's moving in transition, he sets up teammates very, very well. So he's very dangerous off the rush and in transition um, because he's he's moving in straight lines. So when we talk about geeky and some of the red flags. It's some of the bursts laterally. It's the way that he adjusts to the speed and and uh, changes of speed of play, the way that he can kind of build speed or his first three steps, that kind of stuff. But when he's moving um, in the flow of play off the rush, which is, you know, a big part of the NHL game now, is if you can really build that transition speed through the neutral zone, he's a very hard player to handle there. 
Uh, and then the other one is when he's handling from the half wall. Um, so there was times on the on the power play and other kinds of things when once he's built his speed to the neutral zone, he kind of curls and moves towards either down low or on the half wall. And he, when he has the puck there, he's actually got really great vision. And so he can pass into the middle of the ice, cycle the puck back to the boards. He can do a lot as a potential playmaker. I don't think he's a natural, like, give me the puck at all times type guy. Um, and there definitely are a lot of, like, the, the way that Geeky's – um, you know, high-end traits kind of work in tandem with each other are a bit different. Um, but he's also a guy that I think saw his weaknesses throughout the year, and you can visibly see him working on them throughout the year. And so I think he's a guy that is competitive. He's a guy that wants to be better, and I think teams look at him. And, and in this draft as well, he's got somebody that, that has a bit more – he's got size, he has reach – he is a very smart player. Um, and so it's just about taking what he can do and just continue to build on it. Because I think um, in the past, he's relied on some of these things that have really, you know, created success for him. And now it's just about going, we got to round you out. We got to turn you into a pro player. And from all the signs that I saw, he's uh, he's ready to work on those things. You know, at 6'4 and just over 200 pounds, the temptation would be to plant him in front of the net and use him as that sort of a guy around the net front. But it sounds like you think he's got more finesse to his game that he doesn't have to be limited to that sort of role. You could put him on the outside as uh, as the playmaker, as the setup guy. You definitely could. The, the the thing about once again about his skating too is that he's not he's not the if you kind of close space on him, um, you know if you close space on anyone in the NHL, you really have two you have three options. You pass the puck away. Sure. Um, you use you use bursts of speed to kind of evade, like you know you try to burst laterally. And Gikita can't really do that. And so what I would like to see him do is just to protect the puck a bit more, to use his reach, to use his size, to, to be a guy that's more comfortable playing against physicality because he is a finesse guy. He, he lends himself to playing against finesse. And I think the times in this year when, when he just like, he held the puck in a very, you know, in a very vulnerable position in front of him. And he, he just, you know, I just want to pull the puck a bit more, protect the puck, um, you know, in the hip pocket, you know, kind of protect the puck, keep it in the cycle. Um, and then I think it would limit turnovers and he would be able to really pass in front of the middle of the ice a bit more. Um, but he's a guy that, that uh, he, he's a natural playmaker, way more than a shooter. And they were, I think, Winnipeg was trying to develop his shot, especially on the power play, a little bit more at the end of the year. But to make him more of a dual threat. But he's a natural. He's a natural finesse playmaker for sure. He's Joel Henderson. We're chatting about uh, some guys for the 2022 NHL draft. We just went through five uh, playmakers uh, for Joel. And uh, now I asked you for a couple of other guys. One guy that you you like, uh, you think maybe uh, more than a lot of your peers, uh, and you might pick him earlier in the draft than a lot of people would. And for that guy, uh, one of the names you offered up was Liam Ogren, who mentioned uh, all those players that playing for Jurgard, and he's one of them. Uh, tell me what you like so much about Ogren. I mean, honestly, if you just go through Ogren's stats, you can just see that he is a dual threat goal scorer and uh, and kind of playmaker. He's a guy that I like because he makes small possessions matter a lot. Um, he, you know, there's certain guys that, that really succeed at the junior level, you know, all across the world by by just demanding the puck all the time and creating opportunities all. Like there's sometimes where we just go, this guy's going to succeed because they shoot six times a game. But Ogren is one of those guys who lets the game come to him. And it's just like, no matter what situation that he's in, where he needs to play from the half wall, um, create in the neutral zone, push the tempo and forecheck, um, create off the cycle, um, play make once there's, you know, play established. It's just every kind of situation that I've seen him in, in my views of him, he's been great. Like he's never been the most dominant player on the ice and the guy to really instill his will. But I just see him as this elite 
complementary potential player. And one of the guys that, you know, once again, comparisons are comparisons, but one of the guys that I think, you know, if everything goes well for, um, for Liam Ogren, I think you can get a player very similar to the way that Andre Pilat is finding success for Tampa Bay. You know, Andre Pilat is not the number one on his line and he's never been, but he's one of those guys that when you put him really with finesse style players or checkers or really kind of in any role, he seems to thrive. He seems to create, he seems to make his teammates better because he's such a great control player. Um, his shot is accurate and he just makes every play count. And I think that's kind of what you get in Mulder. And I think some teams probably going to steal him in the back half of the first round. All right. 33 goals this year on the J20 squad in just 30 games. Pretty notable there for sure. Uh, all right. Now I asked you for another guy as well at the opposite end of the spectrum. And that's not to say you don't like this player, but if you're picking, let's say, fourth overall and uh, somebody takes Uri Slavkovsky in the top three, you're okay with that because it pushed somebody else down to you that you might like more. So it's not that you don't like Slavkovsky. Everybody likes him, uh, but you don't like him quite as much as, as a lot of people. Why is that? Yeah, I, once again, I mean, like we're talking about players that have, you know, an infinite amount of potential. They're, right. at, they're at the top of these for, for a reason, right? Like these are going to be hotly debated players. Um, you know, but the debate ended up being, you know, I had somebody that when I watched Slavkovsky for the first number of times, uh, early, early, early in the year, I could see him creating from the wing as, as a cycle player. And I was like, oh, that's really good. Like, I really like him. And then I watched him when everyone got really excited him during the world championships and stuff. And the way that he was producing, I just thought was not necessarily sustainable through the middle of the ice. And some of the things that he was doing, I just went, yeah, I don't think he's going to be able to do that at the NHL level. And so I think some of the things that people were watching uh, him do at the, at the world championships and in the Olympics, I just don't think that's going to be the player that he is. I think that if you want to turn Slavkovsky into a, into a good player, you really have to build off his cycle game from the outside and keep him from the middle of the ice. He's not going to be a dominant puck carrier through the middle of the ice. Uh, one thing that I noticed from him quite a bit is he, he um, when he's making these, these really big drag moves, especially when he's moving into the offensive zone, he, he dips his head and he, you know, his eyes follow his puck and his stick. And so he loses all sense of where the net is. He loses all sense of teammates around him. So those kinds of roles in which he was finding success and, and you know, he was able to score, but it was kind of like poop shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. The more that you watch him and the more that you watch him at other levels, when he does that, it's, it's really kind of a low percentage thing. So I want to see him creating up the cycle. I want to see him creating up the wings. I want people to set him up for one-timers on the outside. I think he's going to get success in the next level, but he's going to be another player where uh, people are going to have to be a little bit more patient with him as he starts to kind of really understand what his game is at the NHL level. And so I think there's a lot of guys in previous years um, that you just have to be patient on. Right now, New York Rangers are being patient with Papokako. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers aren't too sure of what they have in in uh, Jesse Pugliarvi. There's these big um, wingers that you just want to be the next Rick Nash, and they just aren't really necessarily. So I think he's someone that no matter where he goes, if he goes at number one, I really feel for the kid because he is going to take some time to really kind of find his game, and uh, and I think people got to be aware of that. Joel, where do people find the rankings uh, for puck preps? Uh, so everything is at puckpreps.com. We do have individual uh, Twitter handles as well for every region. So if you are uh, Ontario or, or Quebec or, you know, down in the United States or Western Canada, it's all uh, labeled under the Puck Preps kind of banner. But puckpreps.com is where all the all the uh, rankings are, and you can find it there. And then you can find me on Twitter at that, D-A-T-H-O-C-K-E-Y-D-O-E. Uh, I just kind of say everyone goes, oh, football, basketball. And I go, yeah, but that happy, though. <laughs> 
All right, one more plug. Uh, tell me, uh, poor nameless boy, what's that about? Um, so before I really got into, actually, how I got into scouting hockey was a massive hockey fan, like most people are, and uh, and I was a traveling songwriter, musician, going around and playing all sorts of places, and so I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to just be able to get some some press passes and and to watch some games while I'm on the road? And I could do a little bit of writing while I'm there, and you know that was back in 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. and so fast forward all of this and. Uh, <laughs> And my income is very much uh, split income. I love writing music and, and making music under the banner of Poor Nameless Boy. You can find a lot of the music on, on Spotify and SiriusXM and Stingray and CBC and every, you know, every place across Canada. So if you want to check out that, that's where the music is. The last single I put out was in the fall, and there should be more music to come as well. Awesome. Joel, listen, I really appreciate your time, man. This was great. I hope you don't mind if I call you again down the road. No worries. I look forward to it. That's Joel Henderson from Puck Preps. First time he's been on the show, but great job. I'd like to get him on again. Always seem to, uh, like I follow him on Twitter, and uh, he's always talking prospects, so always making points that generate conversation. So I wanted to get him on the program, and glad I did. Let me know what you thought of his list of playmakers. Was there somebody that we forgot? At TPS underscore Gee is where you can get me on Twitter. Up next, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News is going to speed in, and he is going to talk about some boom-bust players. That is always a fun discussion. You want to swing for the fence? Well, Tony's going to tell you who to select next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Second round pick of the Colorado Avalanche. Over to Gutman, to Savoy, and he's got a hat trick. Start throwing the hats. Give up the $24 hat. Throw it on the ice for Carter Savoy. This is Carter Savoy from the Sherd Park Crusaders, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I'm a mog, half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. Continuing on with the uh, Scout Series here on The Pipeline Show. Of course, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky you've ever had. It might be the best beef jerky you've never had if you've never tried it. To go to wilhockbeefjerky.com, uh, my next uh, scout uh, to join me is uh, Tony Ferrari uh, from the Hockey News now. Uh, Tony, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Not too bad. Always have to be here, Guy. Oh, I appreciate you making the time. I know awfully busy time of year for, for you in the scouting community, uh, so I don't want to keep you too long. Let's get right to it. The uh, category that you picked were the boom-bust guys. Uh, all, this is always a, a fun category. Uh, these are players who somebody might take them early, and uh, they're swinging for the fences on these guys. They could really turn out, or it could be a wasted pick. Who knows? And I guess we can almost make that argument with uh, most guys in the draft, uh, but we're going to start with a Russian Gleb Trikhozov. Uh, tell me why he falls into that category for you. Well, there's obviously the entire Russian factor from this year that everyone's going to be going on with, with uh, the whole Russia-Ukraine situation that's going on. But at the end of the day, also, this is a kid that's produced an incredible amount in the MHL, a league that 
we've all kind of had our, our gripes with over the years. It's not always the best league and, and whatnot, but this kid's got an unreal talent, an unreal ability to kind of cut to the middle, use his shot, and, and just attack play. And there, there are many players coming out of Russia that play with the kind of spunk and the pizzazz that this guy plays with. And that's saying something because Russia does produce a ton of high-skilled guys. But this is a guy that, although he's not a huge guy, he attacks the middle, and he's got one of the better shots in the entire draft class. So if they can kind of get him on the development path outside of Russia and get him into playing North American game a little bit more, this is a guy that honestly could be a top 12, 15, even top 10 player in this draft class. 6'1", 185 pounds. So the size is kind of already there. I mean, there are lots of guys in the NHL at that size, but it's that goal-scoring uh, component that he might have that's uh, above the board compared to uh, a lot of his uh, counterparts this year? Yeah, it really is. It's, it's an unreal release, an unreal shot from every angle. The kid doesn't have to be set up perfectly in, a, in an A-frame to get a good shot off. He can shoot off his back foot, off of his wrong foot. It doesn't matter where he's shooting from, whether the puck's in his feet or extended out from him. He's got a really good release, and he's got some really underrated playmaking ability as well. Like The skill is there that you see in a lot of these Russian kids coming out where they do have those dangles and those kind of fun moves that you're like, yeah, that might not work at the NHL level, but this kid has so much else to his game that even if only part of that translates, he's still got so much going for him. All right, well, that's the boom part. If the bus part is mostly about his passport, he can't really do anything about that. Is there as- Are there aspects of his game that uh, still leave you wanting more? Yeah, the, uh, sometimes when you're watching him play defensively, he uh, he doesn't, and that's always a concern, <laughs> especially with some of the kids coming over from Russia. That's a, a trait that seems to be... A, uh, pretty consistent over the last few years, and uh, he doesn't kind of escape from that. When he puts in an effort, you're like, oh, okay, he has the capability of doing it. It's whether or not he wants to put in that effort on that end of the ice, though, and that's always something that a lot of kids have to kind of get trained and, and get coached up to do, but at the end of the day, he's got the skills, he's got the, the strength and the speed and the skating ability to do it. It's just whether or not he's willing to commit to it. All right, uh, that was Gleb Trikazov. Uh, Noah Osland is on your list of boom-bust guys as well, and I know other people are pretty high on him. I think most expect he could be uh, probably a first-round pick. Uh, what's the, the bust factor that uh, weighs in when you're looking at Noah Osland? Uh, the bust factor is really just the fact that sometimes he can play really perimeter hockey. It's just he doesn't want to get to the middle as often as you'd like him to. He's got all the skill and all the talent in the world, but it's about that kind of go-to factor, about that, that killer instinct sometimes that you look for with him. He's a guy that has the skill to play on the outside and still be able to be a playmaker, be a guy that sets guys up from the middle of the ice. But you're, you're wondering, can his goal-scoring ability translate? Can his ability to kind of be, be a, a factor as more than just that perimeter playmaker be a, a, a real trait for him? Because he has the skills, and when he does do it, you see so many flashes of it at the J20 level. When he gets to the men's level, it's almost like he's intimidated by playing against players that are bigger, stronger, faster than him. And he's got the speed. He's got the agility and everything to do it. It's just sometimes he seems a little intimidated. So if he can kind of get by that, then there's a lot lot to like in this kid's game. With the J20 team, he had 42 points. 33 of those were assists, so nine goals. But at the U18, he had four goals in six games. Do you think his his goal scoring, you mentioned uh, how you think he's a goal scorer. Is that still... Uh, a work in progress for him? Yeah, it's definitely still a work in progress, I think. It's it's something that I don't know if he's ever necessarily going to be known for. Is he gonna, ever going to be a 30-goal guy at the NHL level? Probably right. not. But if he can be a consistent 20-25 to 25 goal guy and then put up 35, 40, 50 assists, that's where you really get the offensive ability with this kid. And he plays center. He plays a pretty smart two-way game at times, too. And there are moments where, like every 18, 17, 18-year-old kid where he – he has some lapses defensively, but for the most part, he's able to kind of do the things that you want to see from a center. So that's the other big thing with him is he's struggled at international tournaments because he does play a little bit of a smaller, 
smaller type game. Hmm. But this year at the World Under 18s, he really did explode onto the scene. He was easily one of uh, Sweden's two or three best players, along with the, his Your Garden teammates in Lekaramaki and Liam Ogren. Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News is my guest right now, looking at some uh, some guys he would consider to be boom bust players here, eligible for the 2022 NHL draft. Uh, defenseman Sam Renzel uh, comes in on that list, listed at six three and about 180 pounds, so lots of room to fill out on that frame. I remember when I had him on the show, I really enjoyed the conversation. It sounded to me like there was a a pretty intelligent guy there. Uh, this is a, a player that. Now, he's on your boom-bust list. You know, if you were to weigh it, do you think he's more of a, a safer pick than a risky pick, or how do you how do you balance that scale? Well, I, I'd personally argue that I think he is a little bit more of a safer pick, but at the same time, he's a high school kid that he played some in the USHL this year, so that kind of alleviates some of that bust factor. But I do think with any time you're, you're picking a kid that primarily played high school hockey, even if it is Minnesota hockey, which is probably the best high school hockey in the States, but it, it's kind of that risk factor. Like, oh, can he, his game translate to higher levels? Can he consistently play at the USHL level? And you saw moments where his game went from being this dynamic offensive presence to a bit more reserved and kind of understanding that, hey, I'm at a, a higher level right now. I can't just toy with opponents. I have to actually be a difference maker in, in every facet of the game. And that was a really interesting thing to see him kind of alter his game, be able to kind of still affect the game while taking away from his offensive game. And that's the area where I think, He's got that dynamism. He's got that ability to kind of change and be a difference maker. If he can kind of slowly bring that along as he goes to the, the USHL and college levels over the next couple of years, that's where you're really going to get this kid that, that kind of stands out and, and shows up amongst some of the better players in this draft class. And there is some boom bust factor because, like I said, he's a high school player, but that, that, that boom factor is just so unreal because of the, the raw tools that this kid has and the, on the frame he has as well. I know he finished the year with Waterloo, like you mentioned. He's eventually going to Minnesota to play with the Golden Gophers. Is Where is he next year? Is he back in the USHL? Because it sounds like physically it, it might be a good thing for him to play another year at junior. Yeah, I think he, he is debating on whether or not he's going back. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he is committed for next year to Minnesota. But there's a lot of times a lot of these kids will go, you know what, I'm committed, but I'll, I'll push it back one more year, especially right after their draft year so that they can get that extra year in junior hockey and then go to college for a year or two and then really make their, their presence felt on the NHL or pro circuit. All right, maybe a conversation he has with whichever NHL team drafts him as well and uh, get their opinion. All right, uh, that was Sam Renzel. Now, Connor Geeky of the Winnipeg Ice. I'm not sure a lot of people would have thought that he would factor in on a boom-bust situation, but I guess there is kind of that divisive nature to him. I mean, everybody likes the size, but maybe some people are left wanting more and uh, trying to predict what kind of a player he can be at the next level. I know skating is a bit of a concern for some. Uh, what about for you, Tony? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. I think if, if this guy it, it ends up getting that boom factor and he ends up being everything that we all kind of think that he can be if he gets that skating worked out, he can be that top-line center. He can be a real difference maker in the top six with that incredible size, the, the ability to kind of use all of the skill he has because he doesn't lack skill either. He has some of the better hands in the draft class, especially for the size he has. He has one of the better shots that I don't think he uses quite enough that I think he should. And he's a really skilled playmaker as well. His defensive game, I think he's one of the sneakiest players with his stick in the defensive zone, lifting a guy's stick and immediately moving up the ice, whether it's by pass or with his skating ability. And, and that skating ability that I talked about and that you mentioned, that's the, that's the area where the, the bust factor really comes in. He's a guy that I think he needs to take two or three steps rather than one or two steps in, in the skating department to, to kind of reach the ceiling. But at the end of the day, I think this is going to be an NHL player. And I think that's never really been a question with Connor Geeky. It's, but it's about, is he going to be a bottom six guy or is he going to be a top six guy? And I think at the end of the day, if he does reach his ceiling because of the skill and the, 
the offensive mindset and the two-way game that he has, he could be a top-line center, but there's also a reality where he ends up being a third-line winger or something like that. If skating is the biggest issue, uh, is that a mechanics thing where you just get him with a, a, a skating coach, a, a good power skating coach, and you can kind of work that out? We've seen lots of players who were average to below average junior skaters uh, who go on and have NHL success. Jared Stoll, a great example. Kyle Brodzak was not a good skater as a Moose Jaw Warriors. I don't think anybody thought Mark Stone would be you know, a great skater at the NHL level, and all of them carved out lengthy NHL careers. Yeah, and that's just it. It's it's not an area of the game that's impossible to manage or impossible to kind of improve on. Right. And that's what I think is really intriguing about Connor Geeky's game is that I, it, I do think it's a mechanical issue. I do think it's a he needs to fill out his bottom half of his frame a little bit more issue and get stronger down there. But at the end of the day, this is a kid that right now he's currently almost trying to stomp through the ice. And <laughs> obviously that's something that you don't want to necessarily see at the NHL level, but We've seen, like you got, like you said, guys like Kyle Brosniak, John Tavares, even a guy that went first overall, right. wasn't a good skater in junior hockey necessarily. A guy like Mark Stone, become one of the best two-way forwards in the league. Can can Connor Geeky kind of figure out that mold and, and kind of work on that skating and at least bring it up to NHL average? Because I don't think he needs to be this exceptional high flyer at the NHL level, and I don't think that's a reality for him either. But if he can get it to that NHL average level, I think he can be a really effective top six player. One more guy on the boom-bust list to get to. It's uh, Christian Cairo from the Erie Otters, who uh, hasn't been talked about on this show at all this year. I didn't have him on the program, uh, so uh, it's always great when the guest brings up somebody new for me. Uh, so he had 60 points in 68 games. 18 of those were goals. Uh, tell me why he's on your boom-bust list. This kid is uh, kind of the Connor Geeky of defensemen. He, he has, you can tell he's his brother's... Uh, uh, he's, uh, Jordan Kyrou's brother because he has this incredible offensive mindset from the and despite playing on the defensive position rather than playing up forward like his brother but he has this incredible mindset offensively he has all this creativity and skill and everything you want to see in a player that is going to push the pace to the next level be a real difference maker in transition as a passer threat from his own zone and be a, a true power play quarterback his skating needs to come away though if, if he can get his skating to come up a little bit this is a guy that could really, truly be one of the better four, five, six defensemen in this draft class and, and be an offensive d- dynamic presence at the NHL level. I think we're watching the NHL become more skilled, faster, uh, even a little bit smaller over the last few years. And, and this is a guy that can really kind of figure out that mold if he can get his skating up. Any smaller defenseman, any guy that's under six foot one, six foot two, people are going to be concerned about skating, and that's an obvious red flag with Christian Cairo's game. But that skill, that offensive mindset, that ability to kind of diagnose play and absolutely pick a, de- a defensive structure apart. This kid is one of the best defensemen in the draft class at it. If, if that skating can come, like there's a player that someone's going to draft in the second, third, fourth round that could end up being a player that's talked about as a top 15 player from the class. Missed last year's draft by, what, a day. He's a September 16th yeah. birthday. Uh, and didn't play at all last year, at least not uh, officially on record. Uh, how much does that factor into where he could be compared to where he actually is right now. You talked about uh, working on skating. Maybe that's something that would have helped last year playing a full season. Yeah, I think that's what's affected a lot of the uh, OHL guys specifically, and in general, this draft class, because they they were the draft class that was in their D-2 when their season was interrupted by COVID and the pandemic and everything. And then that summer, they didn't get the the opportunity to train in the gyms and and get in the skating rinks and stuff like that and work on those smaller developmental skills. And then even the guys that did get to play last year, which didn't include Kyrou or guys like Shane Wright, they they still had these weird interrupted practices where they had five guys on the ice at a time or something. like. It was such a weird year, the last year and a half, two years, 
that so many of the players from this year's draft class seem to be affected by that developmentally. So a guy like Christian Cairo, even going to, up to a, a guy like Shane Wright, I, I, my hope is that they're a year behind in their development, not a year lost in their development. And I think there's so many players, especially with this draft class, that you're going to be able to see kind of take those bigger steps a little later in their 19, 20, 21-year-old seasons that we don't normally see from some of these other guys. So it's going to be really interesting. And I think Christian Cairo is a guy that certainly has everything you want to work on and he's got the skill available to do it. He's Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News, and uh, now we move on to the, the guy that you like uh, maybe a little bit more than the consensus out there and uh, that you would pick probably before a lot of people uh, and uh, might raise some eyebrows. Uh, now, the guy that you singled out, player I've been trying to get on the show here for the last month or so and uh, just haven't been able to track him down. It's uh, Gavin Hayes of the Flint Firebirds, who decent height at 6'1", but he's a little uh, slim thus far but a pretty strong season for the flint firebirds almost 20 goals and had almost 50 points this year in his first year in the ohl uh why is this the guy that's uh, become a bit of a personal favorite for you yeah he's a guy that i've seen live a bunch of times this year i live in windsor so i see flint come over here i watched him in the playoffs against windsor as well pretty like live not too recent not too long ago and this is a guy that has so such good puck skills some of the best hands in the draft in my opinion and he has a really good shot. He didn't always get that top six minutes that he, he should have probably gotten at times this year. And he was a guy that really earned his way up the lineup and everything with Flint this year. And they're a good team. So they're not just giving out spots to some of the younger players. And Gavin Hayes had to earn it. And this is a kid that has so many good things in his game, especially offensively, where you watch him play in the neutral zone where he's able to kind of weave and dip and dive through traffic and use his frame, even though he's not a super strong guy yet, he's able to kind of use his frame to kind of hold guys off and, and keep one hand off the stick if he needs to protect the puck and everything. There's so many things that he does well, especially when it comes to if the puck does get knocked off his stick, he's right trying to get that puck back. He's a hound on the puck. His skating, I think that a lot of people knock it and they go, oh, the skating is bad. He needs to work on it. It's really just his acceleration, though, that I think he needs to really work on. So that's something that, like you mentioned, he's got a little bit of a slender frame. He gets a little bit of power in that lower body and gets going, works with a skating coach, works with a power coach. This is a kid that's going to go a lot later in the draft than a guy like Connor Geeky, but has a lot of the same traits as Connor Geeky in terms of playmaking ability, goal-scoring ability, and in that offensive mindset. I don't think he has the same two-way game as Connor Geeky. Obviously, he doesn't have the same massive frame as Geeky, but there's so many skills that you watch and you're like, okay, he's able to pass the puck through traffic and they kind of diagnose play through different levels in the defensive zone and the offensive zone. So I think this is a kid that is probably going to get drafted a bit later than most people will expect. But I also think there's a chance that he could be one of the better players in this draft class because there is so much projectability to his game. And when he gets going, when he gets up on his horse, his skating doesn't seem like an issue. He's able to weave and dive through traffic. It's, it's that first few, few steps, and that's the name of the game in the NHL today, is that those quick few steps, he gets those up, and I think he could be a really impactful player. If, if he's sort of a guy that you think maybe the window for him is late second, early fourth round, somewhere in between, say a third rounder, uh, but you would take him earlier than that. How high would you take him? I'd probably take him in the in the second round somewhere. Like I'd be willing to do it over certain guys. And I think the the big thing with this draft class is you're going to have guys fall, and that's going to be the big thing. Is is a Gleb Trikasov going to be there? Because I I do think he's a guy that I'd take above Gavin Hayes. But it's where do you kind of debate on that? And I think every team this year specifically, we're going to get to see what teams value, and and that's really going to be where it's at. I think a guy like Gavin Hayes could go in the early second round if some team sees the size and the skill that he has and the, his ability to project, protect the puck. But then there could be other teams that are just willing to wait on that guy that falls from the first round, whether it's a Noah Oslin, a Gleb Trikasov, even a Connor Geeky, who I've seen 
anywhere from 12 to 30 on, on different boards. So if he's there, then maybe you go with him because he's got the frame and everything like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see where a guy like Gavin Hayes goes, but I could see him anywhere between like the, the early second to, to the late fourth. All right. And then I asked you for one guy that, uh, that you like, but maybe not as much as uh, the consensus out there. So if you were a team picking and somebody took Cutter Goche right in front of you, well, you'd be okay with it because that means somebody else that you like more has probably slipped down one more spot towards you. Uh, now, most people seem to have him in the top half of the first round. Uh, for you, there's it gives you a bit of a reason for pause. What would that be? Uh, it's not anything to do with his game, really. That's the biggest problem is his rise in the last little bit of the year. And uh, we just saw Bob McKenzie's board come out pretty recently. And it, he was number five on there. And you're seeing all these other boards come out with him in the top ten. And my thought keeps going, man, he must have interviewed really, really well. Mm. Because his entire rise seemed to have come after he stopped playing. And the U18s, he had a good tournament, but then he's going to kind of bumping himself above guys like Frank Nazar and even a guy like Jimmy Snuggerud, who I think is probably in the same same range as him. So for me, Cutter Gochi is a guy that has a lot of skill, has a lot of ability to score the puck. Uh, he's got a great goal scoring ability. He's a little bit limited as a playmaker, but he's got that power forward esque kind of frame to him and that, that play style to his game. So I think he's a very good player. It's certainly a first rounder, even top 20 guy. But some of these t- boards coming out and some of these public lists coming out with him in the top 10, even the top five, that kind of gives me a little bit of concern because a lot of it seems to be going, well, he's a guy that plays center. And like he played center this year in very limited quality when uh, Logan Cooley went to the World Juniors. But other than that, when the when the kind of moments mattered, whether it was at the U18s or during uh, USNTDP, USNTDP play, he was the guy on the wing and it was Nazar and, and Cooley down the middle. So the my concern is, people are projecting him as a center that seems to be the big thing kind of pushing him up boards and everything and yeah he, he might play center next year at college but is he a center long term I, I don't really see it I think he his game kind of works much better along the wing where he can kind of work off the boards and into space rather than being in space and in kind of distributing the puck and being the guy that is a, the play driver and is the puck carrier so hmm. I think he's a, a guy that is a really high-end winger uh, but if you put him at center, I think you limit his game a little bit, and that's my biggest concern. Uh, it sounds very fair to me, Tony. Uh, terrific list. I really appreciate your time. Uh, what do you have uh, coming at the hockey news here before the draft? Well, I've got a few more uh, Game Tape with Tony videos where I'm interviewing a few different prospects. Uh, I've got some prospect pool looks at uh, some weak points and teams have going into the draft, whether it's uh, a little bit of vacancy at center or vacancy on the back end and seeing what teams could use as they head into the draft. I don't necessarily advocate for drafting for a position, but every team seems to do it. So you might as well take a look at what everyone needs. And, and then it's just my rankings and stuff. It all come out and you can check all that out on my Twitter and whatnot. Fantastic. Always great to catch up, Tony. Thank you for your time, sir. Anytime. Guy. The hockey news scribe, Tony Ferrari with his look at uh, some of the boom bust guys for the class of 2022. Now, next up, is the category that I personally have an interest in uh, probably the most. And I I don't know why, but I always look at the overage guys, the guys who have fallen through the cracks once, sometimes twice already. Uh, But uh, I think this year we're going to see a lot more 19-year-olds taken than ever before. And to help me look at some of those guys, a lengthy segment with Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey. That is up next. One of those guys who I think is going to be taken, it's not someone we actually talk about in the segment, But uh, take a listen to this and tell me that here's an overage player who will hear his name announced next weekend. Hey, this is Ben King of the Red Deer Rebels. Puts it on goal, scores! Ben King tipped it home, and the Rebels win it! 
4-3 in overtime. And you're listening to The Pipeline Show. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. You don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. WilhockBeefJerky.com. And we continue on with the uh, Scout Series. We've got another segment coming up after this. We'll get to know another player eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. And that will be Cole Spicer from the U.S. National Development Program. But pleased to be joined once again by Brock Otten from McKean's. Uh, Brock, welcome back to the program, man. How are things? Good. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate you making the time. And I'm I'm excited for this segment because uh, we're, we're talking about overage guys who are still eligible for the uh, 2022 draft. They've been passed over once, maybe twice already. And I think this year, more than in the years past, we're going to see these 19 and, and maybe a few 20-year-olds taken uh, in the draft this year just because of all the COVID stuff and how limited the viewings for some players were over the last year or two. I think a lot of guys slipped through the cracks. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, people talk about the OHL you know, being the best example of that, but you know, how soon we forget that the Swedish Junior League barely played, the Czech Junior League barely played. The WHL played a condensed season. The Q played, you know, more regional games and, and didn't have a lot of crossover. Um, you know, so there's a lot of leagues where development was, you know, limited to a certain degree, right? And, you know, now that scouts have sort of a, a full slate of viewing on some of these players and some of the you know, steps forward that they've taken, you know, I think that points to, you know, a lot of these players probably being selected and in a normal year you know right now we're seeing about 20 percent of the draft being made up of these overage or re-entry players mm-hmm. in their second third year eligibility and this year i could see that number creeping up to about 25 percent you know one in every four um i really do think we're going to see quite a few selected all right well let's get to the list i asked you for five guys we probably got 10 we could talk about uh, easily uh, in this segment we'll uh, we'll jam in as many as we can uh, let's start with the Dubuque Fighting Saints because they were led by a couple of them. Uh, Connor Kurth is the guy that was on your list. Stephen Halliday is on my list. Uh, both of them led that team in scoring. Uh, Halliday had about a dozen, maybe 15 points more than Kurth. But uh, let's start with Kurth, and you can touch on Halliday if you like to. But uh, tell me about uh, uh, Connor Kurth. Yeah, so Kurth doubled his production from a year ago, and he was one of the most consistent players in the USHL this year. And I think one of the things that really stands out is a lot of his production came at even strength, led the league in 28 with 28 even strength goals, which is, you know, I think that's something that carries a lot of weight with scouts. Um, as you mentioned, he formed a really great duo with Stephen Holiday, And I think he was able to improve his quickness and his balance, allowing him to sort of play through the middle of the ice a lot more effectively. Cause he's, he's a big boy. He's about 5'11", 220, um, you know, really wide stance and really good at protecting the puck. Um, really hard to knock off the puck. 
Also, uh, you know, a really good hard worker, too. Uh, good on the forecheck, clear space for his line mates. I wouldn't call him, you know, a power forward, per se. Uh, but I think he's just a very good complementary offensive player. Think, you know, along the lines of uh, what Michael Bunting was able to do for, you know, the Austin Matthews line this year in Toronto. And I mm-hmm. think that when you look at him just being a year removed from the draft and the progression that he showed, he's going to a really good program at Minnesota next year. Um, I think that he's somebody who definitely gets drafted. Uh, I could see him being somebody who gets drafted even pretty high. Uh, I think there's still some room for improvement when it comes to his skating. I think that, you know, being a, a bigger guy, um, I think that that's something that's going to have to continue to improve. But um, I definitely think that there's there's a very pro-ready game there. Uh, and I think it's easy to see him being somebody who translates well. Sheet I'm looking at says 5'11 and 215 pounds. That's uh, that's like a running back size. You know, not just he, he doesn't have the height to be a 215-pound player. You'd like to see those guys maybe at 6'2 weighing that much. Is that a conditioning thing or is that just maybe overtraining and he's got to drop 5 or 10 pounds? Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a big boy, and I think that uh, I think that some of that can be explained by some of the skating issues. Um, I think they've are like I said, I think that his skating has already improved a lot, and I think that that was one of the reasons why he was able to improve so much in the USHL this year um, from the previous year. Uh, I think that at the NCAA level, that's going to have to improve further. But uh, I think that if he doesn't get drafted this year, I think NHL scouts are going to be kicking themselves because I think he's going to be an immediate impact player at the college level. And I think that he's going to be somebody that they're going to be you know, rushing to sign when he's ready to, to turn pro if they don't draft him now. Now, Halliday, uh, if we can touch on him just uh, briefly, he was a guy who admitted on this show that he was too big and uh, dropped some weight. And I think that paid big dividends for him uh, this past season. Ended up with 95 points in 62 games. 35 of those are goals. He's going to Ohio State. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, on Halliday? Hey, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was going to actually kind of just segue your sort of question about curse conditioning into into Holiday's conditioning, and that was the biggest thing for him this year. Is you know he looked in a lot better shape, and I think that was very evident with his play on the ice. I think the biggest sort of knocks on Holiday previously and, and why he wasn't drafted in first two years of eligibility is one um, bigger body but really didn't really use that size to his advantage it was more of no I wouldn't call him a perimeter player but he definitely wasn't uh, a physically intense player I think that there was that lack of intensity that scouts were looking a little more from and then just the consistency of of his effort in all three zones um, and the skating as well and I think that with the improved conditioning I think we saw um, I'm really large improvement in all three of those areas and I think that helps to explain why Holiday was finally able to become such a dominant player at the USHL level and I think that's probably going to continue next year at Ohio State which is a really good spot for for him to land I think um, and uh, I would be shocked if Holiday isn't selected at some point in the draft this year you know, it might not be till later in the draft yeah. but you know you've got a big boy who's got some skill who is starting to take you know, his, his off ice play or his off ice, uh, training a little bit more seriously. And, uh, I think definitely has the projection, uh, of a middle six player at the NHL level. And I think that he's somebody who definitely has earned a look. All right, let's move on. Uh, Mike Milne is, uh, the next guy on your list. He played with the Winnipeg ice this year. He's a 19 year old. He'll turn 20 in uh, late September upcoming, but as an eighth round pick, 
Uh, this is a guy who's maybe a bit of a late bloomer uh, because in his rookie season, actually not bad in his rookie season, 33 points in 53 games, but for whatever reason wasn't selected in his first year of eligibility, but shot all the way up to 81 points this year. Uh, what have you liked about Mikey Milne? Personally, I'll say he, he was one of the more effective players the ice had against the Oil Kings uh, in their playoff series that ended in five games. Yeah, I think the thing with Milne is it's just easy to see him carving a pass in the NHL. You know, maybe it's not anything more than a bottom six guy, but with his speed and his tenacity, yeah. uh, I think it's easy to see him being, uh, at the very least, uh, a strong penalty killing option. Um, and, you know, the fact that he was able to improve so much offensively and he fit right in playing along the likes, uh, playing alongside the likes of Matthew Savoy and Connor McLennan this year, um, was able to play with pace, was able to slow the game down, um, had a fantastic playoff run for, for Winnipeg. Uh, really, there's there's not a lot to like, and it's just a matter of, you know, how high do you see the upside, and, and where do you select him? I think it's again, he's another guy that I I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, when he gets selected and not if. And for me, he'd be one of the first ones off the board, and it wouldn't shock me at all if um, somebody takes him in that sort of top 100 range where we see a lot of these reentries going nowadays. Right. Uh, especially a team like say Seattle, for example, who. Um, is looking for very pro-ready prospects who can sort of make an immediate impact in their organization. I think Melm is is one of those guys with the steps forward that he's taken who who could jump into a, a partial NHL role next year uh, in a bottom six. Um, and again, as sort of as that as that penalty killer and as that high energy guy. That's a great point about Seattle. Uh, how they'd be looking to get some guys who are maybe closer to uh, reaching their their uh, pro status and able to contribute to them a little bit quicker. That's a, uh, that's a good point. Uh, next guy up is uh, David Spachek. He is the uh, son of uh, former Edmonton Oiler, Yero Spachek. Uh, he only played here one year, but uh, his son playing in the Quebec major junior hockey league this past season for Sherbrooke was nearly a point per game player. Uh, what do you like about David Spachek? Yeah. So uh, as you might expect, uh, the son of a former NHL defender, I think the biggest strength for Spachek is, is his head. I think his IQ is, he thinks the game uh, at a really high level at both ends. And, and that gives him sort of a safe projection uh, as a possible pro player. I think the skill set in, in terms of the high-end potential of the application uh, of that skill as well is, is somewhat limited. I don't think there's an extremely high ceiling there, but I do think that, that you know, he has a good point shot. He's solid in coverage, good decision maker with the puck. Um, skating is uh, average to above average in, in some areas. And I think that that, you know, makes him a, a solid bet to, to be maybe a, a good quality third pairing guy uh, in the future. And obviously he has that pedigree. And I think that there's a chance that some of those skills can still further improve. Uh, he's another guy who didn't play a lot last year because the Czech junior league didn't play a ton with, with the COVID situation. So coming to the queue this year and having such a, a strong year, uh, I think that, he's definitely going to be on the radar and kind of has been sort of all year too. And I think that if the U twenties had actually gone through, uh, I think we might be talking about him even, uh, you know, as a really solid top 100 candidate because he would have played a really large role in that team. And I think the checks would have had a pretty good tournament. Yeah. Won't help him with the draft this year, but I'm sure he'll be on that team uh, come August uh, when uh, they reset the uh, 2022 world junior championship here in Edmonton. I don't know if this factors in at all for NHL teams, but having 
uh, spent some time early on in his career, at least, uh, playing, I'm sure, minor hockey in North America. I know he spent most of it in uh, Czechia the last number of years since his dad retired. But having a little familiarity with North America might make that uh, that transition for him a little simpler. I, I don't know if that's a, a, a major factor in drafting him or not, though. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I, I think that I think that it won't hurt, but I don't see it as being a, a major factor per se. I think yeah. the biggest thing for, for Spachek is, is Scouts trying to analyze whether his athletic tools can kind of be upgraded a little bit. You know, he's only sort of, like I said, sort of an average to slightly above average skater. And, you know, with somebody who has that high IQ like he does, you're going to be looking for a way to, to make him a little quicker, make him a little stronger. And if there's room for, for that development uh, physically and athletically, right. And that's going to be the key to whether he's, you know, more of a depth guy or, or can play further up the lineup. All right. Next guy is a, a Russian who was, uh, would have been one of the youngest players eligible for last year's draft with a September 6th birthday. Uh, that would be Dmitry Bochelnikov who is a uh, forward playing in Russia. Now, the Russian factor is always an issue. This year probably plays a bit more of a role uh, than uh, than in most seasons. Uh, but it's a guy that you think is worthy of uh, of taking a look at. Uh, tell me why. Yeah, our, our Russian scout uh, really, really likes him. And I think the biggest thing uh, that makes him so alluring is, like you said, he's only nine days shy of being eligible for the first time this year with such a late birthday. Um, and now we've seen such a, a strong progression from him this year in the MHL where he was one of the leading scorers. And I think that when you look at his offensive sort of skill package as a really good skater, really good goal scorer, has a really good one-timer, uh, a really top-flight power play threat, has good offensive instincts in the offensive zone. There, there's just a lot to like there in terms of a high-ceiling offensive player. Uh, yeah, he's a little undersized. And yes, you know, there's that question as to how that game is going to adapt to playing at the pro level and against men because he hasn't really played above that MHL level. And we haven't really seen him too much at uh, the international level, especially recently, obviously, with the whole Russian uh, conflict uh, occurring currently. And then you throw in the whole political factor that teams are going to have to weigh at the draft this year. So, yeah, there are, there are certainly a lot of mitigating factors to look at with, with Chemikov, but I mean, I think you're looking at a really high upside player and I'm going to throw a name out. Yeah. And I'm going to say like, look at Igor Chanikov a few years ago, right? Like there's, there was a reentry guy that, you know, not a lot of people were looking at as more than just a mid round selection. Columbus sort of jumped up to, to take him nice and early. And uh, that's not to say that the two of them are the exact same player, but I think when you look at how good he was in the MHL this year, there might be a team or two that, you know, really, really like his his ceiling. Well, it only takes one team, right? So yeah. we'll see what happens uh, with uh, Bachelnikov. All right, next guy is uh, Tucker Robertson, who uh, played in the OHL with the Peterborough Peets. 81 points this year. 41 of those were goals. Fantastic season uh, for uh, Tucker Robertson. Uh, now he is a 19-year-old. In fact, uh, just turned 19 here, uh, what, last week. And not a big player either, listed at 5'10", but 190 pounds. That tells me he's probably a, a bulldog and pretty tough to knock off the puck. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Like He's one of the hardest workers in the OHL. And I think that he was a standout, actually, uh, as an OHL rookie because of his sort of tenacity and that bulldog mentality. Uh, unfortunately, with the OHL not playing last year, we just didn't really have a chance to see if that offensive game could take that next step forward. But now we're saw we saw it this year, and he was a leader for the Peets 
sort of all year. Yeah, the Pete's weren't great. And, and maybe that means that he was sort of thrust into a role that he wouldn't have likely received uh, on another team. But I don't think that you can hold that against him. I think that he was one of the most consistent players that I saw in the OHL this year. He was one of the highest scoring 2003 born players in the OHL, which I think has to, to count for something ahead of many, many uh, drafted players. I think that when you look at the fact that his offensive confidence really improved to go with that sort of hardworking physical approach that he brings to the ice uh, and that well-rounded skill set, I think you're looking at a guy who could possibly play through the middle of your lineup at the NHL level. I I don't think he's got really uh, a significant weakness to his game. And uh, along with a guy like Mikey Milne, I think that there's sort of a very safe floor uh, for him as a pro player. And I think that there might even be a, a relatively high ceiling here. I think he's being sort of slept on uh, as an NHL draft pick this year. And I think one thing that kind of confused me was sort of his fall uh, on a lot of rankings. I think that when we were looking at the midseason, we were seeing him as a potential top 100 pick. And he was relatively rated uh, quite well by uh, NHL Central Scouting. And then he dropped a fair amount on the final list, even though the play didn't really drop, right? And it's uh, it's kind of left me scratching my head as somebody who's seen him a lot this year because I don't think that the play really drops. I think that there's a guy that I think some teams are going to really, really like heading into the draft. And I think he's definitely somebody I could see going in the top 100 this year, too. Interesting. All right. Another guy, well, this guy's got all the headlines going for him right now is Logan Morrison uh, from the Hamilton Bulldogs. What an amazing season for him. 100 points in 60 games and led the team in the playoffs as well. And that's after the addition of guys like Mason McTavish. Uh, this is a guy who uh, I think is, uh, I, he's locked himself in uh, into the draft this year, but I mean, is he a top 50 guy, maybe top 75 at least? Uh, I don't know. It's for me, I think he's still sort of in that like 100 to 130 range. I think he's still in that mid round range. Hmm. Uh, personally, I would take a guy like Tucker Robertson over him. Um, but that's just me. Um, he's always been an extremely intelligent player. That's always been Logan Morrison's sort of bread and butter. Um, but as his career has gone on with the Bulldogs, and especially obviously this season with that breakout performance, we've seen sort of an improvement in those athletic tools, you know, sort of what we were talking about earlier with, with Spacek, right? And that's been the biggest improvement in his game and the biggest reason why he's been able to take his game to the next level. And, you know, on a lot of nights playing for the Bulldogs, he was more of a factor than Mason McTavish was. Now, does the game project to the NHL level? I mean, that's going to be the million-dollar question that NHL scouts are going to be looking at. You know, he's still at the NHL level going to only be an average skater. Uh, he's gotten himself uh, to be sort of in that above round or above uh, average range for the OHL, which is great, and it points to some hard work on, on his end. Um, but as an NHL player, it's still going to be only average. And if that's the case, you know, what, how is he going to be adaptable or how is he going to adapt to that, uh, change in the pace of the game? Is he going to be able to use sort of that high end hockey sense without, you know, being sort of a step ahead of the competition? It's, it's a question that I think is going to be, asked uh, at a lot of scouting round round tables this year as they start to look at him in that sort of mid-round range. Um, Like you said, though, he had a fantastic year. I'd be shocked if he isn't drafted. I think he's definitely locked himself in. Uh, I just don't think I would take him quite that early because I think that there still is sort of a a projection issue to a certain degree because I don't think Morrison projects sort of as 
a bottom six guy. I think when you're looking at those types in today's NHL, you're looking at players who can play with a lot of pace and play with a lot of physicality. And Morrison isn't really that kind of guy. Um, I think that he's going to have to play sort of in your top six or top nine to be effective. Um, and I think that I would still have some questions as to whether he's going to do that. But you, you can't ignore the year that he had, and you can't ignore the progression that he showed. Brock, I asked you for a, yeah, a, a bit of a sleeper pick, a personal favorite in the draft, and it didn't have to be an overage player. And you offered up a, a defenseman who played in the uh, OJHL this year with the North York Rangers. He's headed to Cornell. He's a big defenseman, 6'2", and what, a, just under 200 pounds. George Figueres, uh, tell me why this is uh, your sleeper pick. And I, I don't know how many people uh, or how many uh, scouting groups out there have him ranked, but you guys have him, what, just around the uh, the 100 mark? Yeah, exactly, on the nose. All right. Yeah, so I think the big thing with Figueres is he has shown significant improvement from, I think, an early age. When I saw him play in his OHL draft year, um, he showed a lot of potential as a two-way defender uh, when he played for the Richmond Hill Coyotes in the GTHL. And he was a really strong power play option, but his mobility was pretty limited, um, kind of very stiff and rigid. But in the last couple of years, that's really, really improved. Now you're looking at a guy that's about 6'2", like you said, just under 200, who moves pretty well, um, has a very well-rounded skill set, plays with physicality, has, still has that booming point shot can run the power play, can anchor the penalty kill, plays pretty much in every situation for North York this year, um, was the OJHL's top prospect. Um, you know, the production favors or compares favorably to some other guys that have had a lot of success uh, playing out of the OJHL. I'll give you an example, like Mario Ferrero, who, you know, has established himself as a pretty good NHL player now with San Jose, uh, has that right shot. So I think you look at somebody with an improving sort of overall um you know physical skill set and i think that he projects as somebody who could be sort of a diamond in the rough kind of somebody like that colton perico right i think a lot of nhl teams are looking for those types of players who have you know a high ceiling and a, and a lot of uh, opportunity for growth and i think he he's one of those guys and i think that He's going to play next year in Muskegon in the USHL, and then he's going to go to Cornell the year after. So there's going to be a long road ahead of him. But I think that there's there's a lot of upside here. And I think that, um, you know, from talking to some people, too, who cover the OJHL and um, people in the North York organization, they love him and can't say anything uh, but great things about him. And I think that uh, he's somebody that a lot of independent scouting agencies are sort of sleeping on. Excellent. Well, you sold me on him. I'm looking forward to that. George Figueres uh, from the North York Rangers. And as you mentioned, headed to Muskegon next year uh, and then off to Cornell. All right. That's the, your uh, your sleeper pick. Uh, the opposite is a guy who's uh, ranked high and will probably get drafted fairly high, but uh, you wouldn't take him that high. So if you're a team picking and he gets uh, chosen right before you, you're okay with that because that means somebody else uh, fell to you. That doesn't mean you don't like Brad Lambert. But why is Brad Lambert that guy for you this year? It's it's so tough. Like when we were doing our final rankings and trying to figure everything out at McKean's, I felt like I might be the only one in in our scouting team that really you know <laughs> wasn't a huge fan of Lambert, and you know made me sometimes like question you know what am I what am I missing here right? And I I think that there's there's a lot to like obviously there's that profile of of a high very very high upside offensive player. He's definitely if he's not the best skater available in this draft as a forward, he's top three easily. Um, the uh, the skill 
level. The creativity is very high. Uh, I think I just wonder about the hockey sense. I just don't see somebody with high-level vision. I, I don't see somebody who's able to problem-solve his way out of issues. Uh, and I think that that helps to explain the production issues playing against men. I think that's that's where that's coming from. And uh, I, I think it's tough when you look at sort of my background covering the OHL. And the one guy that I can't help but but sort of draw some parallels between is Neil Yakupov. And I, I just think to like how Yakupov looked as a draft-eligible player with Sarnia. And I, I can't help but think about some of the things that we sort of overlooked, some of those red flags that were there, but we overlooked them because we thought, oh, man, like, you know, this guy's got speed. This guy has a little bit of tenacity. This guy has creativity. You know, that other stuff, it's going to develop. It's going to develop. And it, it didn't, right? So I think that that's my concern. I think one of the things that I really always look for in prospects, especially uh, forwards, is how well they think the game. And I just don't know if, if Lambert thinks the game uh, at as high a level as he needs to, uh, to bring out the best in that skill set. You know, I look at a guy like Jagger Furcus, mm-hmm. right, playing out of the WHL, somebody you're probably very familiar with, right? Yep. In my opinion, here's a guy that's probably just as creative as Brad Lambert, maybe not the same level of skater, uh, you know, is the same size. You know, produced extremely well this year, especially uh, you know in on higher stage, say like the CHL top prospects game. And you know, is there really a huge difference between those two players in terms of their offensive ceiling and upside? In you know, one we're looking at being consistently sort of rated in that back third of the first round, early second round range, and another Lambert we're seeing you know rated quite highly, especially. Uh, by independent scouting agencies like like McKean's, for example, again, because you know I, I've got to try to balance out the opinions of all of my scouts. And right. If I'm the only one who doesn't really like him, you know, uh, I think it's unfair to the rest of my team that you know we rank him low. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that there are some other players in that sort of mid first early first round range who have. Uh, a bit of a safer ceiling than Lambert. Uh, I think I would just feel a little bit more comfortable with with some other players. Now, if Lambert is available sort of in that latter part of the first round, yeah, that's definitely when I start to look at him because that's when, you know, the upside is just too hard to ignore. But otherwise, uh, I'd be worried about some of those red flags we're seeing. As we're speaking now, he was his rates in the WHL were just traded uh, by Saskatoon to Seattle. Uh, and there's lots of rumors that he at the combine he said he would be interested in coming over next year. Uh, that would be a big get for Seattle if he played. It would also mean he'd play with his peer group all season long. Does that change anything? Does that factor into what you think of him for the draft at all? If he was to be here, yeah, personally, no, because I figured he'd be coming to the WHL next year anyway. I mean, okay. that if you listen to some of his interviews and you listen to some of the quotes that he's given, I kind of figured that he'd be in the dub next year obviously thinking it would be Saskatoon and not Seattle, but you know, now it's Seattle. Um, I think it's going to happen and I think it's going to be great for him to play against his peer group. I think it's going to be great for him to play in the WHL um, and have to sort of play through uh, a little bit of more physical intensity and being able to try to find his way to the middle of the ice mm-hmm. um, and not just sort of play that perimeter game. And he's going to have less time to, to make those decisions on, on the small ice and, uh, Seattle obviously is a good spot because they're going to have a great team. Um, 
and and that's going to be a, a great spot for him to go into and build up confidence quickly. So yeah, I think that's that's going to be a great spot for his sort of development. But at the end of the day, you know, does it change my projection of him as somebody who maybe has questionable hockey sense? Uh, not really. I, I mean, um, again, I'll go back to Yakupov, right? Yakupov came over, played in the OHL, sure. had fantastic years, uh, but that ultimately didn't you know, help him reach his high ceiling, right, at the NHL level. So, yeah, I mean, regardless of where he plays, it doesn't really change my, my opinion of him. Does it make me excited? Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see you know, when he does come over, assuming he does come over, uh, how he plays. But uh, heading into the draft, it doesn't really change much for me. Fair enough. Uh, Brock, I kept you a long time. Where do people go to find the, the rankings for McKean's? Yeah, so McKean'sHockey.com. We've got our draft guide out. Uh, the print version is now available. If you are kind of old school and prefer that, as opposed to, you know, reading on your phone or your laptop. So I know there's a big market for that still. Um, so that's available now on the website on on top of the digital version, which comes with a free membership to our site. Um, yeah, and um, definitely excited for the draft coming up. As we all are. Uh, Brock, this was great. Thanks again for doing this, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, my pleasure, man. That's Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey. You can go find those rankings, as you mentioned, uh, both an electronic edition as well as a hard copy. If you're old school and like the, the paper version, you can get that as well. Always a lot of fun to, to have Brock on the show. Very well-spoken and uh, knows his stuff. A lot of re-entry players available this year, and uh, there are, I'm sure there are some that we didn't get to that maybe you think we should have talked about. Uh, let me know on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. Maybe it's Ben King. Maybe it's some guys who didn't get signed and went back into the draft, like Ryan Francis. You can let me know. Tag Brock in it as well, so you can tell him too. All right, we've got one more segment to go in this week's show. It is the second last episode before the actual draft, uh, so we've got a little bit of time to uh, talk to a player or two or three more uh, before the draft comes around. And uh, my next guest is also eligible. It's a 2022 draft spotlight with Cole Spicer of the U.S. National Development Program. That is next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Deals inside of the net, Halliday scores! There it is. History made in Dubuque tonight! And it comes just a minute and a half into the first period. And Stephen Halliday is the Tier 1 scoring leader. Hey, this is Stephen Halliday. I play on the Dubuque Fighting Saints, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Joe Pavelski. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Johnny Gaudreau. Score! And Tori Krupp were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with. If one of y'all says some silly ass name, this whole class is gonna feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We're gonna end this week's episode after hearing so much about, uh, or from so many scouts leading up to the 2022 NHL draft. 
Let's talk to a player who is draft eligible. Uh, first, reminder that the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Uh, but my next guest uh, in the States, no chance he's getting some Wilhock down there. Uh, but I'm pleased to be joined by Cole Spicer, who is a, a forward who played with the U.S. National Development Program this past season on his way to uh, Minnesota Duluth to uh, play with the Bulldogs uh, for his NCAA career. Uh, Cole, welcome to the Pipeline Show, man. How are things? It's going good. Appreciate you for having me on. No, not a problem at all. I'm glad I was able to uh, get you in right before the draft like this. And I, I know it's a hectic time of year for, for you and everybody in the class of 2022. Tell me what the last, let's say, month and a half has been like since the World U18s wrapped up in Germany. What's life been like for you? Yeah, obviously, it's the draft's always kind of the number one thing on your brain. But I know I can speak for pretty much everyone that we just kind of try to do our best and not focus on it all the time. Try Try and enjoy time at home with friends, family, because we've been away for so long. Just getting home and, you know, spending the month with them before the draft is, it's a special time. So what do you like to do to relax? Are you a golfer or uh, wherever you are uh, right now? I'm not sure if you're, some guys are hunters or something like that. What do you do for fun? Yes, uh, I'm a big golfer and I love going to the lake. I'm a big surfer, wake surfer, so I, I that's most of my time. I'm either at the golf course or up at the lake on the weekends. Nice. So you've had a lot of time to unwind here getting ready for the draft yeah relax a little bit which is good a lot of guys at this time of the season would describe the drafts their draft season almost like a marathon like it's it's been on your radar forever for the last three or four years i'm sure uh and now you can finally see that finish line and you just you're going to enjoy the day and and what that experience is like but once it's over there's going to also be like a sense of relief that oh finally we can get on with stuff do you feel a little bit like that right now uh, I would say, yeah, I mean, you dream as dream of it a little kid and then, you know, the older and older you get, the more of a reality it becomes and the more you got to kind of focus on it. So the closer to the date we get, the more kind of surreal it becomes and just excited for the day. All right. Well, take me back to this season and uh, what the year was like. It was uh, two full seasons with the, the national development program. So you made some lifelong buddies and uh, played a lot of hockey and uh, through some challenging times with COVID and all that. But when you look back at this uh, experience with the program, I, I got to think that's a, a thrill and a lot of memories you're going to keep forever. Yeah, it was it was an awesome experience. I knew I knew a couple like the Minnesota kids going into it, but for the most part, I was meeting most of them for the first time. It was it's memories you keep for a lifetime. We all became super close. We spent every second of every day together, whether it's on or off the ice. So definitely definitely gained some brothers there and wouldn't trade it for the world when did the program come into focus for you to the point where you thought oh, this might be a realistic thing that might be a direction i want to take my career how old were you uh i would say 13 wow 14 was the age i went to uh or sorry 15 i went out to michigan to play for honey baked and kind of you know the program was kind of right there so that was kind of the main focus on them to get their attention so that was kind of when it really really set in all right, well, you had a monster year at Honeybake that season, 169 points in just 63 games, 51 goals that year. Goaltending optional in that league, or, or uh, you know, what do you, 100, 170 points, that's crazy. Yeah, no, I was I was lucky to have such a such a good team for my first year moving away. We had a ton of ton of great skill up front and then awesome defense. So it just it made the transition for me easier being on such a good team with such good guys. So it was a, it was an awesome year for me. 
How have you evolved as a player over the last couple of years, Cole? Like, take me back when you first started uh, playing for the national program uh, as a you know on the U17 squad to where you are now. What's changed? Uh, obviously, they teach you a ton of just skills on the ice, but I would say the biggest thing for me is they teach you how to be like such a respectful young man off the ice. All just a little thing, saying please and thank you, how to carry yourself. I would say that was the biggest thing for me and my teammates was they they really teach you how to be how to carry yourself off the ice. Uh, your line mates uh, changed throughout the the two years, or who did you play with for the most part? Did it, or did it change quite often? It changed quite often. Um, towards the beginning of this year, I was with uh, Gauthier and Kaplan for a little bit. Snug grew it a little bit too. And towards the end of the year, I was with uh, Kaplan and then the 05 Ryan Leonard, who came up to play with us. So, but they mix it up, you know, with injuries and, like you said, COVID and stuff. So, right. just kind of mix and match lines a good amount. Your U17 year, I know you played, what, 29 games, I think, with the team. Uh, there were, I think, up to 45, 46 games, though, for the club. Uh, some injury in there, or I don't know what the situation was for you. Yeah, I had a hernia surgery, so I missed the amount of the year. That, that's that got to be real impactful for a player. Was it during the season, or was it like at the, one, yep. at the start or end? I had my surgery middle of July. Okay, so that impacts getting ready for the... The, the coming season then how did that training and preparation and things like that how do you get around that how do you deal with that we uh gvn performance did a great job with me kind of that's who trains us at ntp so they we did a lot of workouts just really focused on that one area of the body strength and it got it back so i could get my stride back and once i kind of got the stride back it was just uphill from there and they do a great job there making sure i don't hurt it or tweak it again but yeah, we spent a lot of time just kind of on that one muscle group, really, really focusing on it and getting it back to getting it back to as strong as it can be. Well, 58 games this season. So, uh, did it hamper you at all in terms of your play on the ice? Like, could you feel it? Nope, not at all. Oh, that's awesome. That, I mean, that that must be a relief just mentally. Where I don't know, maybe at the start of the year you might have been a little concerned about it, and uh, that quickly went away for you. Yeah, surgery, surgery couldn't have gone better. So it was a. It was a good fix, and I'm glad I got it done when I did. Cole Spicer is my guest, forward with the National Development Program and getting set for the 2022 NHL draft that comes wow, a week from now, basically. When you look back at this past season, uh, 20 goals, 39 points in those 58 games. Were you happy with your, your year? Yeah, I thought it was a good year for me. I uh, had a really good start to the year, and towards, uh, towards the middle kind of had a couple not not say slump, but kind of slowed down a little bit and then ramped it up back going into the world. So I would say it was a good year, good confidence year for me going into the next year. But yeah, look back at that honey bake season with the 169 points. It would be unrealistic to think you're going to be a, a three point guy per game uh, at the uh, you know with the national development program. But the offense wasn't necessarily that you weren't producing at that you know a near or that same click which would have been unrealistic, but was that a tough thing for you to make an adjustment to where you're used to putting up all these points and then suddenly it's a, it's a lot more challenging. Was that tough? No, I mean, the, obviously the older you get, the better everyone else gets there. The goalies get the faster the defensive and get. So, I mean, the first couple of games, obviously you got to adjust to the pace and you just kind of realize that you're not going to score five goals a game, like you said. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more to the game, just scoring goals and, I think the older you get, the more you realize that. So, I think that was kind of a kind of an eye opener for me, which is good. 
For those of us who uh, haven't had a whole lot of opportunity to watch you play, can you give us a, a bit of a self-scouting report? What should fans uh, expect uh, to see from Cole Spicer on a, on a normal game? Just a responsible two-way centerman. Wins face-offs, makes the simple plays, but you know, puts up points. All right. Do you see yourself as a top six guy, or like what role were you playing the past couple of years? Like third line guy? Yeah, kind of like a third line center guy. Yeah. All right. So faceoffs, obviously, a big part of your game then, as the middleman on the third line. Yeah. Is that yeah. is that a skill you're born with, or is that something you work at uh, to really uh, hone? Maybe a little bit of both. I would say I would say a little bit of both. Um, we're lucky enough to have uh, Kessler come out, and he uh, he did a lot of work with us on faceoffs. So. I think I kind of grew in that part of my game. Ryan Kessler? Yeah, Ryan Kessler. So what is the trick to, to being a good face-off guy? Um, honestly, it's it's study your opponent, figure out what he wants to do and how he wants to win it and prevent him from doing that, kind of throw him off his game, his mojo. So that's that was kind of always my goal, figure out what he wants to do and not let him do it. All right. Uh, the sheet I'm looking at uh, lists you at 5'10", 175 pounds. I don't know if that might have been at the start of the season, though. Uh, what are you at right now? 5'10", 180. Okay, so you put on a little bit of weight. Did that come after the World U18s, like over the last month and a half? Yeah, throughout this summer, I'll put on I'll put on some more weight and then more like more than I want to play at. And then as I start to skate more at the beginning of the season with practice and stuff, lose a couple pounds and be at the, the weight I want to be for season. All right, do you think you're done growing uh, vertically? Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Uh, I'll probably get another inch, hopefully two, but... You know, I don't really think my height really holds me back from anything. So if I stay the same height, it's not the end of the world to me. Yeah, lots of guys uh, your size playing not just collegiate hockey, but professionally and in the NHL. And lots of guys your size mm-hmm. in the draft class this year. So I don't think it's uh, yep. abnormal uh, at all. In fact, lots of teammates this year. Uh, that's not something you guys really talk about it at all anymore, is it? The, the, the size thing has kind of gone away to some degree. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. It's more about who wants it more than the other person at the at you know our level. So size isn't as big as a factor anymore. Now, uh, for those who don't know a whole lot of background on you, this the Pipeline Show is a junior and college hockey show. So my regular audience will will know uh, about the program and uh, and about Duluth and all of those things. But uh, casual NHL fans will tune into this because maybe next week their favorite team drafts you and they want to know some info about you. Uh, and might not know anything about you. So for the benefit of those people, let's start at the beginning. Uh, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So I'm from Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, a little, no, not a little town, but a decent-sized town, right on the border of uh, Minnesota. I was born here, grew up playing hockey here, and pretty much been here my entire life until I moved to Michigan my uh, sophomore year of high school. Who got you into hockey at a young age, and uh, do you remember how old you were when you first started playing? Yeah, I was three, and uh, my dad, he played hockey growing up. He played up until junior, so he always put a rink in my backyard ever since I was three, four years old. And him and my brothers would go out there with me, and we'd skate till he got done with work, till the, till the sun went down. So, How many brothers you got? Uh, I got two younger brothers, AJ and Rylan. AJ it will be in high school this year, and Rylan will be an eighth grader. Okay, are they both players too? Yep, they both play hockey. Uh, and have you always been a forward, uh, Cole, or did you try the blue line for a while? Heck, even throw the pads on at a young age? Yeah, I played defense for a little bit when I was younger, but kind of forward, always kind of have my eye a little bit more scoring goals. So it's a, it's a little more fun scoring them than preventing them. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. You ever throw the pads on? When I was real little, we had to. We kind of just <laughs> rotated goalie, but I wasn't wasn't really a big fan of that. See, I ask that question of every player that I get on, and a lot of them will talk about that. And I can hear them almost like painful memories because they got lit up and they allowed 10 goals or something like yeah. that. One of those nights for you? No, my dad would just make – he would like – pucks at me very hardly <laughs> i think he didn't really didn't want me to be a goalie so he kind of took that into his own hands and made me really not like putting on the pads <laughs> all right i know originally uh you had a, a commitment to north dakota which is right in your hometown there the university of north dakota yeah. you, you grow up going to uh to the ralph what a fantastic facility that is um so it's a natural fit for you to go there but they asked you to uh, to play another year of junior, and, and you want to get going with your college career. So not really your choice. I guess it was your choice whether to do that or not, but you've decided to decommit and, and uh, uh, latched on with the University of Minnesota Duluth, uh, the Bulldogs, an arch rival for uh, North Dakota. Was that an easy decision for you to to settle on uh, uh, on Minnesota Duluth and, and not play that year of junior, was, or was that a, a tough decision? Did you struggle with that? I would say at the end of the day, I kind of always knew I wanted to go play college next year, kind of playing a half college schedule at NTDP the last year. Right. But, you know, leaving, leaving the hometown team is obviously, I mean, my house is three minutes from the ring. So, but, uh, yeah, it was a choice that I had to make. And, you know, obviously still tons of respect for, uh, UND coaches and staff, but it was best for, best for me. And with the loose losing some important guys in their lineup last year. I think we got 10 incoming freshmen coming in, so a lot of roles to be filled, and I just thought it was a perfect fit for me. Well, it was natural for it to be North Dakota, but when that goes away and then you have to make another choice, were there other schools or was it all automatically uh, Duluth? Um, a couple of schools reached out, but in the original commitment process, uh, Duluth was kind of the kind of the two right there with North Dakota, and okay. I ended up going with North Dakota just because of the hometown school, but... So when I decommitted, I kind of always had Duluth as the school I wanted to be at, and it just happened to work out. Well, UMD has been one of the top uh, schools in the last decade. Scott Sandlin, an excellent coach. Coaching staff is great. And you mentioned 10 freshmen. I imagine there are some familiar faces going. I think uh, Ike Howard is one of them, right? Yep. Ike, uh, me and Ike have been best buddies for a while now. I think this will be our sixth year playing together, six or seven, so... We've uh, definitely been through a lot together and grown up together playing hockey, so it's good. I'm excited for it. I know on some programs, uh, freshmen might have to, you know, play further down the depth chart than they might uh, expect to, you know, in in year three or something like that. But with ten freshmen coming in, do you think you can fit right in and be an impact guy fairly early on in your college career? Yeah, and I think that's kind of what they're looking for me to come in and kind of more so prove myself and you know just be a be a big role for them as I, like I said they lost uh they lost some big players last year and mm-hmm. they're kind of looking for some people to fill some roles a favorite NHL team growing up cool uh I was a diehard Chicago Blackhawks fan all right well they on some tough times right now the Blackhawks but anyone uh, whether they're yeah. in the organization or at the NHL level that you look to and say let's see my size we kind of play a similar style I got to pattern my game after that guy anyone come to mind when I say that yeah, I uh, I like Andrew Kopp when it comes to kind of just like a comparison. Sure. Well, Winnipeg Jets, uh, well, now with the Rangers, but the Jets weren't that far away uh, from uh, from Grand Forks. I guess, was that geographically, is, is Winnipeg the closest team to Grand Forks? 
Uh, Winnipeg's only two hours from Grand Forks. Yeah. Do you ever cross the border to go watch Jets games? Um, a little bit. Growing up, I was up there almost all summer playing tournaments and stuff, so oh. very familiar with the area. Nice. Well, Cole, listen, I appreciate uh, you making time like this uh, right before the draft. Best of luck, whatever happens at the draft next week, and uh, maybe we'll catch up again once you're at Duluth. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me on. All right, there is a forward, Cole Spicer, who played for the National Development Program the last couple of years and is headed to Minnesota Duluth to play with the Bulldogs for the coming NCAA season. That is going to wrap up this week's episode. You heard from four scouts this week, plus a player eligible for the draft. we got one week to go before the draft gets here, and that brings me to what's on tap for next week. Well, the plan is to have uh, maybe... Two, maybe three more scouts on the program, and that frees up a space for one, maybe two, even three potential players. Last minute before the draft itself, so far one guest is confirmed, Sam Cosentino. I'm going to have a chat with him on Saturday. That'll be part of next week's episode. For patrons, you'll be able to hear that conversation with Sam this weekend. You won't have to wait until I'll probably release next week's show you know, the draft is, starts on Friday, maybe on Wednesday. That would be the plan. So patrons will be able to hear that conversation with Sam for like three, four days before it actually comes out to the general public. So one more reason to sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. If there's a player I have not had on the program yet this year and featured in the 2022 draft spotlight that you would like me to get on, last call. Flicking the lights a couple of times, letting everybody know it's last call for the 2022 draft spotlight. It's a couple of big name guys I haven't been able to track down yet. Logan Cooley, one of them. Shane Wright, another one. Uh, have been in contact with uh, their reps and their uh, their teams several times this season. Uh, and fingers crossed I'll be able to get at least one of them before the draft rolls around. But uh, Yuri Slavkovsky, who is number one on uh, Bob McKenzie's list this week, uh, he has been on the show this year. Some of the Euros, they're challenging at best because of the language barrier sometimes and just trying to track them down is a bit of a challenge, but had a number of uh, guys on again this year, mostly the Swedes, but uh, Brad Lambert from uh, who plays in Finland had him on the program. But if there's somebody I haven't had on yet, uh, hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy and uh, put in a request. All right, that does it for this week's show, though. Until next week and we get the draft. This has been the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Guy Flaming. See ya!